Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome into Hoopsville on this Sunday evening, February the 10th, 2019. I am Dave McHugh, your host, and we hope you will um, tell your friends, come and join us, because I can't believe this. We are two weeks from the end of the regular season, two weeks from, at this point, us talking about who's in, who's out of the NCAA tournament in men's and women's basketball in Division Three. <laughs> I'll be honest, I'm still stuck in mid to late January in my head. Doesn't feel like it's the middle of February already. But two weeks from tonight, we will be on air with a Hoopsville special edition, as we always do, trying to make sense of who has automatically qualified for the tournament, who we think will get in as an at-large bid, and who we think will be left, essentially, on the doorstep, not able to get in, and including who may be the surprises to talk about in Division Three made the selections and whatnot. So there is a lot to start breaking down. There is a lot to talk about. Believe it or not, we will go a little late tonight in the broadcast, but we will not plan on going super long in the shows. I have a feeling maybe we will start turning that corner as soon as Thursday, as there is so much we want to really get covered. On Sundays, we traditionally talk about the Northeast region, the Atlantic region, the South region, and the central region. Tonight we'll do that in a in a variety of ways. Um, debatable. <laughs> I I, I kind of went around and around and around on this. Central region is one of those regions where I have always wanted to make sure we've had a guest representing because there's so much going on in the central region. Kind of like the northeast region as well. I don't want to skimp out on those regions and, and not have a topic covered or a school covered specifically. But today I decided I wanted to go in a different direction. We've had a number of guests from the Central. Not that we couldn't have more, certainly, but it was a matter of what do we want to do with two weeks remaining in the season, in the regular season, that is. And so tonight, we won't have a coach or player from that region. We will actually have Bob Quillman, but let's talk about the schedule first and foremost. We will start in the Atlantic region tonight. We will talk to Marymount women's basketball coach Ashley Rogers, Marymount in the Atlantic region for the first time, maybe in forever. Yeah, because when they were in the CAC, they were in the mid-Atlantic region. So we'll talk to Ashley Rogers about the Atlantic region, the AEC, and remember their direction, the their path to an NCAA tournament berth is not through an automatic bid this year, and it is not through um, the, the ability to um, get an at-large Traditionally, they will get that Pool B bid. Take a moment here. Hello, Aunt BJ. Thanks for the tuning in. So we'll talk to her about those differences. What it means, does that change the tenor of the conference tournament, for example? We'll talk to Ashley Rogers about that coming up. Then we'll head up to Boston, Mass. Boston women's basketball coach uh, Christina Baugh will join us to talk about the high-flying beacons they are second in the conference, still with a chance of maybe winning the regular season title from Mass Dartmouth, who they beat earlier this season. Mass Dartmouth and Mass Boston will play midweek. Obviously a big game, so we'll talk to Kristen Baugh about that coming up. Jared Samples will join us from the uh, from U Dallas. He's the men's coach there. He's also on the national committee. He's the only four-year 
member on the committee this year. He'll join us in the NABC Coaches Corner. We'll ask him a little bit about what he what his four years on the committee has been like, what this year has been like. And on top of that, we'll certainly talk to him about his work with the NABC as well. South region member will actually be John Thompson from North Carolina Wesleyan. The USA South's been really odd this year. I think we expected a different outcome. Though North Carolina Wesleyan was predicted to finish on top of their side of things. They have. We'll talk to him about that and battling bishops in the USA South and whatnot. Then Bob Quillman, as we mentioned, will come on from IWHoops.com. He'll give us his take on the CCIW, the WIAC, and what else is going on in the central region. Then we will bring in Ryan Scott, and he and Bob and I will do our top 25 double take, including dubious, debatable, and um, what's the other one? Our Dark Horse team. Uh, the top 25 information has been sent out to voters on the men's side. I notice that the voting deadline is a little earlier this year or this week. 23 pages. I would argue this might be the biggest pack we've had this season. And I think that's because of how many losses we've seen. Hey, Mark, good to have you in the show as well. We'll talk about the breakdown of the top 25 in a moment, but it's a good point to remind everybody. You can follow us on Twitter at D3Hoopsville and hashtag Hoopsville. You can email us, Hoopsville at D3Hoops.com. You can join us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Hoopsville. Email actually is Dave.McHugh at D3Sports.com. You'll see it scrolling on the bottom of the screen. I'm going to see if we can change that in the near future. Um, Ira says, watching live, first time in a long time, usually watching on the archive. Well, Ira, it's about darn time you watched us live, sir. Just kidding. Thanks for tuning in, my friend. Um, so ask us questions. Send us questions. We got a, our usual friend, Ronk, sent us a question earlier. He said, you mentioned uh, that the racks, you, uh, let's see here. You mentioned the racks are advisory and that the National Committee may change it. Uh, a regional ranking in the interest of transparency will they indicate when they have in fact changed a regional ranking from Iraq yes and no is how I answered back um, listen there's a level there's a point in where I believe we should have transparency and then there's a point where I understand that transparency should end the racks will come out with their information and advise remember it's regional advisory committees they will advise the national committee as how they see their regions breaking down since they're the coaches in each conference, representing each conference voting. And remember, the chair of each rack does not vote, but they represent the national committee and then bring those findings to the national committee where things are voted on, adjusted, and so forth. I am fine with not knowing specifically if racks votes are changed and how. Um, I'm certainly interested in knowing if the National Committee has had to change RAC um, votes. I, I think we get into a gray area if we start asking how severely they've changed them. But I'm also perfectly fine in not knowing what they changed because ultimately the RAC's information means nothing. The RAC's information is advisory to the National Committee. The National Committee is tasked with putting out regional rankings themselves they're the ones who ultimately have to answer to those regional rankings, not the racks. If we started getting into a no man's land, in my opinion, of knowing what the rack said, seeing what the national committee changed or finding out how much they're changing, we're going to get into a point where the racks and national committee are in a fight that we created. And I don't think that's helpful. Furthermore, it's the national committee's purview 
to make those regional rankings public, not the RACs. And as, since the RAC is being an advisor, you don't post what advisors say, right? Uh, if the president of the United States is getting advice from members of uh, 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 advice from anybody. You don't necessarily hear what that advice is. You sometimes do, but you don't normally. A doctor may talk to his colleagues for advice on how he may proceed with something. We don't necessarily hear publicly what that advice is, because ultimately that doctor is going to make the decision. So in my opinion, yes, we get transparency. We get a lot of information from the national committees. We can certainly, as we hash, jokingly call, hashtag glean information from racks and others to figure out what's going on. But ultimately... It's the National Committee that puts information out, and I'm fine with not needing to know the nitty-gritty of what a rack puts out. The only thing I think would be an exception is we're starting to see a major issue, and then we start questioning the National Committee, and it's revealed that they're making changes we don't But that we're talking about a rabbit's hole and a what-if that is so off, off into right field that it doesn't make any sense. So I'm fine with the fact that, yes, every once in a while we'll find out if a RAC has or a national committee has, has had to tweak with the RAC. We'll ask that question often to a chair or a committee member saying, hey, how much do you guys changing these things? Oh, we changed it a little bit. Oh, we didn't change much this week. There was one year they weren't even allowed to change until the final year. And remember, those those RAC years, those regional rankings those years were, were a mess there wasn't anything we liked about them, and it was the National Committee that one year, and I don't remember when it was, as we as we were understood, we're not allowed to change what the racks were putting out, and we couldn't make hide or tail of what was going on. Then they could do it the final week, and things kind of made more sense. So I'm fine with how this works. Um, how far in advance do, do the D3 men's all-star team rosters at the final four weekend get announced? Who is in charge of all that. Brendan, I don't know if you're paying attention. I'm going to answer your question since you texted me. NABC puts the all-star rosters together. We will find out the week of. Ta-da! Week of. Um, um, so in case anybody's thinking about rosters, and that's also for the women's side, too. So um, a couple of notes. Let's talk about the top 25 really quick. By the way, I'll keep an eye out for questions. I moved where we put our show. I'm not sure I'm going to keep it like this, but we'll see. Alex saying, NESCAC tournament. Yes, Alex, what about the NESCAC tournament? <laughs> That's a wide open. It's not even set on the men's side yet because there's, well, I, or maybe not even on the women's side. Uh, Am, uh, Hamilton Amherst have to play on the men's side this week, and that will decide the seedings for the tournament. So it's not even been decided yet. But NESCAC tournament starts next weekend, if people remember. Um Difference in the men's and women's top 25, stark. <laughs> On the women's side, since it'll be a shorter conversation, there were three total losses. Oshkosh lost to Whitewater. We talked about that earlier. That um, Then got past Platteville and got past Stevens Point. Chicago lost to Emory. I don't know if Chicago, what, what specifically has gone on with Chicago? They're a good team, but they just haven't seemed to be as good as we expected them to be. They lost by three to Emory today. Whitman lost to number 13, George Fox, 61-57. Those two teams have now split the regular season. And I think the women's committee is going to have the same problem the men's committee was potentially going to have. I don't know if the men's committee really is going to have it, but the women are going to have it. Whereas George Fox and Whitman being in the same region, can they split them away from each other? I have a feeling they will not be able to do so. 
By the way, Wheaton barely survived with a double overtime win. Looking through the rest of it, remember Thomas Moore is idle again. They're 24-0. They've got, I can't remember if they got a game between now and the conference tournament or not, but the conference tournament's already been decided, and they're the one seed, not surprisingly, on both the men's and women's side. Receiving votes-wise, Augsburg lost to number three St. Thomas. No surprise there, but it was a blowout by 15. Uh, Wash U lost to Emory, so Emory had a really good weekend, and, and Wash U lost its first game in forever. Uh, Babson lost to Tufts, probably not a surprise there, but then came back and beat Springfield, so hats off to Babson. I think they won the New Mac regular season with that. Trinity, Connecticut lost to Tufts. Tufts again. Yeah, I mean, the number six team in the country, right? And then Vassar lost to Rochester Tech. Um, we'll talk about the uh, men's here in a bit. Um, men's, wow, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 losses in the top 25, and 1, 2, 3, 4 teams lost twice, if you can believe it. Um, St. Thomas lost to Augsburg, 88-86. I probably shouldn't be overly surprised by that. Augsburg's been playing well, and I, I think St. Thomas has been a little bit above the curve. To some degree, MIT lost to Springfield. Um, one of their best players for MIT is out. So remember, we were talking about MIT coming back to full strength. Now they're not. Jerko's out. I'm not sure what his what the status is with him. Hamilton lost to Middlebury before beating Williams as the NESCAC turns and becomes a cluster. That uh, that one in a nutshell. The NESCAC's men's side is just insane, and it has been for a couple of years. And not that I expect it, but I go back and I joke about the NESCAC men's soccer tournament where every single bottom seed of every single game won. Number eight, Colby, won the, won the championship. Eight beat one, seven beat two, six beat four, five, or six beat three, five beat four, and then eight beat five, seven beat six, and then eight beat seven. I'm not saying we're going to see it on the men's side, but we're not that many years removed from the seven seed winning the whole thing. Wasn't that Wesley in that year? It's incredible. Um, Worcester lost to Wittenberg, 84-74. The OAC boggles the mind. Williams lost twice. Twice. They're 19-5. and Lost to Amherst and Hamilton. I don't know what to make of that. I don't know if the Eves peaked early and are starting to falter and are going to backdoor their way into the NCAA tournament. And if we should still fear them, I don't, I don't know what to make of Williams. Marietta lost to both Mount Union and Wilmington. I told you to watch out for Mount Union last Sunday, didn't I? Marietta losing twice. They're now 18 and five. Um, North Central lost twice. They lost to Illinois Wesleyan and to Wheaton. It was kind of what I hinted at, at least on my blog, that I was a little worried that... And I, I think I even said last... Wasn't North Central my dubious team? And now they're 18-5. and five. Wabash lost to DePaul. We mentioned that. Got past Kenyon. So at least Wabash somewhat got back on track there. They were struggling. St. John's, in the meantime... Won three straight, including one over Augsburg. So now that St. John's, St. Thomas question becomes challenging, though St. John's has two more losses than St. Thomas, so maybe it's not as challenging as I would make it out to be. Emory lost to Chicago today, 114-107. Oh, jeez. Chicago still has a chance to win the, the UAA automatic bid, I believe. 
And lacrosse lost twice. So lacrosse has come off the rails. They're now 15 and 8. I think they've lost, what, four straight? Three of their last four? Let me see if I can find them real quick on my uh, packet of information here. Uh, should be this page. Oop, just went past it. Bear with me. 23, four pages of, of material here. It can get a little challenging. Lacrosse. One, two, three in a row. I apologize. They've lost three in a row and four of their last seven. They are three and four in their last seven. The Wyack keeps killing themselves. Stevens Point had a split week. Whitewater, uh, they defeated. Oshkosh, they lost to. Probably not overly surprising there. The Wyack, though, could be playing themselves out of, uh, of extra bids, to be honest with you. Oswego lost to Plattsburgh, so those two teams have now split the regular season. Uh, Middlebury lost to Amherst, so Middlebury split its week with Hamilton and Amherst. That just makes the NESCAC race even more convoluted. Guilford lost to Roanoke, as we mentioned, but then at least got past Bridgewater. Augsburg, we mentioned, had lost to St. John's earlier in the week, but they got past Gustavus Adolphus and St. Thomas. So great week for Augsburg, who's 17-6 and six now. And then Wheaton, as we mentioned, lost to Augustana, but then beat North Central. Maybe barely keeping their pool C bids and hopes alive. <clears throat> Ira says, NJCU is red hot, Dave. 10-1 since Jan 1. Yep, they are. Um... I'm not sure what to make of that, Ira. Um, the Gothic Knights seem to do this, where they have a series of games that makes you scratch your head. They have a series of games that make you want to forget about them and then have a, a run where you go, oh, wow, looks like they figured it out. And then when you start paying attention to them, they, they plummet again. I, I'm not sure what to make of it. We'll see how they play it out. Um, we'll see where it all goes. I, I'm not sure. Um, it's, I, I'm, the inject baffles me. I, I feel like it's better than it is. And I know they beat the heck out of each other, but I'm waiting. Ramapo's season last year aside, I, I'm waiting for a bigger sign. I want to root for NJCU, but man, it, I'm just not sure if I can jump on board. Though, NJCU, Yeshiva, and some others are having some outstanding finishes to the season right now. I think they're worth watching. Top 25 vote's going to be an interesting one, and conversations with Ryan and Bob later are going to be interesting as well. And with that note, i got to take a break. We're running a little bit behind already. Just getting out of the gate here. Dan says, uh, Oshkosh Jersey will increase in value in your house. Put it away. If an assessor stops by, <laughs> did Dan increase or decrease, sir? <laughs> Mark Simon says, consider a shout out to the DeSales women's team, 21 and 2, 11 and 0 in the Mac Freedom, 16 game win streak, ties longest in school history. Men also lead the Mac Freedom. Hey, Mark, we had DeSales on the show already this season. Had one of they had their great senior guard on the show. Uh, we know how good DeSales is doing this season. And uh, they're on top of the of the regional rankings, and I don't see any reason for that to change. Arguably, this may be the best of sales team that's ever been put on the floor, and that's saying a lot. With that, we'll take a break. When we come back, we'll get going. We'll talk Atlantic region where DeSales is located, and we'll talk Marymount women's basketball. You're listening to Hoops Hope presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC studios. By the way, Mark, great to hear from you, buddy. It has been a long time. Hope you're enjoying your new uh, surroundings. We'll talk to you guys after the break. 
Football has taught me a lot throughout my life. It's definitely had a huge imprint on who I am as a person. Competing at a Division III level created that opportunity for me to go to college. Not only was I the first one in my family to graduate college, but I was really the first one to even go. Being the first one, I'm breaking that cycle, and, and now that I've graduated, I'm not sure what's the next step, but I know I have a lot of doors open. And a lot of those are open because I played football and ran track here at Otterbein. who are Division III student-athletes, it's more than that, a lot more. Sure, the game is important, but as we work so hard to build both mind and body, it's more about team. That is why NCAA Division III teamed up with Special Olympics, and in giving the gift of sport to those for whom it seemed an impossible dream, we are working to make this a better world. Help us keep that dream alive. You can make a difference. I'm a Division III student-athlete, and I know how powerful words can be. The term gay doesn't mean stupid, lame, or less than. So I pledge to speak up if I hear the term gay used in a derogatory way or any other homophobic terms. If you can play, you can play in Division III. I'm a Division III student-athlete, and my teammates unconditionally accepted me as part of their family. So now I pledge to do the same for others. If you can play, you can play in Division III. We are the coaches of women's basketball. We are leaders and teachers, dreamers and winners. We are professionals who conduct ourselves ethically and with integrity. We place the education, safety and well-being of the athletes we coach above all else and teach them the fundamental values they need to succeed in life. We are coaches united for the good of our game and those who play it. We are the WBCA. Welcome back to Hoopsville. I'm Mike Meller, head coach of Messiah Women's Basketball and member of the Women's Basketball Coaches Association. We really hope you enjoy the show. Back to you, Dave. Welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody, here on this Thursday evening. If you've got questions for us, tweet us at D3Hoopsville or hashtag Hoopsville. Email me, hoopsville at d3hoops.com. Join us on Facebook, facebook.com slash hoopsville. I said hoopsville at d3hoops.com again, didn't I? That has been in my head for so many years, it is hard to get it out. Uh, email me at dave.mcqueue at d3sports.com. We're trying to fix that Hoopsville one. I'm convinced it's not working. Um, we'll see how aggressive we get with it. Um, so, again, we talk Atlantic Region basketball on uh, Sunday evenings, and there's plenty to talk about the NJAC. There always is. Um, though the women's side, not so much. Notice no NJAC teams are even ranked in the regional rankings. That's part and parcel, I think, because, one, it's down a bit, but, two, with the Amer the Atlantic East Conference kind of coming into play, you bring a couple of really good teams, namely Marymount, into that Atlantic region mix that had been in the Mid-Atlantic. It changes it just a little bit. I don't know if that's totally accurate, but it's certainly one of those interesting phenomena, as it were. So with the new Atlantic East Conference, though, also comes a lack of an automatic bid. Those in the AEC 
are either going to have to get in as a pool B or as an at-large of the pool C. Oh, by the way, Thomas Moore is also a pool B bid this year on the women's side. So maybe we forget about that and just worry about pool C. But that also changes what the conference tournament ultimately may mean. Joining us on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline is Ashley Rogers, the head coach of the Marymount Saints women's basketball team, who is 19-5 and five this season and on top of the AEC right now. Ashley, first of all, welcome to the show. Second of all, uh, welcome to your new conference. Eh, a little late. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Dave. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. This is an interesting year for you guys, and I wanted to, I, I debated about having you on early when you really hadn't really gotten a sense of what was going on with the conference or later when you really had gotten a bunch of games under your belt. And I decided to go with later because I wanted you guys to get kind of underway before I kind of peppered you with questions on what this new conference has been like for you guys. What has it been like? Um, well, it's definitely been a year of first um, with the new conference. Um, a lot of these teams playing for the first time. Um, you know, I've, I haven't really seen Mary Wood before, Immaculata, um, Gwyneth Mercy, and it's been a while since we've played Newman and then I think the most recent um, team that we had played before this year was Cabrini in the tournament a couple years ago at Scranton. So um, I definitely, uh, it was definitely a lot of uh, new scouting, uh, a lot of, uh, lot of film, um, and we've definitely been able to get our feet wet this year. Um, it's, been, it's been a lot of fun. Um, I think that it being new um, creates a lot of, um, mystery in some ways, some challenges, and um, now that we are almost um, through the through the conference, uh, we've got two games left with Les, with Wesley and Cabrini. Um, you know, and we've Wesley came with us from the CAC, so that was the only kind of known that we had had coming into it. Um, it's it's definitely been a lot of fun. It's been a, it's new challenges, and I think that my team overall has responded well. To the adjustments that we've had to make not only have you adjusted to new schedule and new conference mates and all of that jazz you have to also kind of adjust to a new world you know you're you're going to be playing in the conference tournament you win a conference title congratulations but it's not a rubber stamp now to get into the ncaa tournament have you talked with the team about that have you had to discuss how that's a little bit different and really the regular season might have a little bit more meaning than the conference tournament for the next two years I mean, it's definitely a conversation we've we've had, and we felt like we needed to have um, because I think just with our tradition of success, um, you know, that's something that we want to do. We want to make postseason. We want to make NCAA's, and not having the AQ created um, a new challenge for us. And we really had to talk about what our road looked like. And you know, we were talking more um, long-term and, and looking further ahead in some ways than we, than we ever have. Um, you know, for me, we've always been, like, just focused on the next game, and we're still that way. But I think because of not having the AQ, we had to talk about with the girls what did Pool B mean? What does it mean if we don't receive the Pool um, B bid and moving into um, and having a shot at, at large? I mean, that was – this was all new to me as well. So doing a lot of research. Uh, I appreciate the time that Karen Harvey has uh, spent with me (laughs) on the phone answering many, many questions. 
Um, so it was definitely a discussion that we've had and we continue to have because um, while we focus on our own road and what's within our control, um, you know, we're, we're keeping an eye on what other teams are doing um, because it's, it's going to impact whether or not we have a shot at NCAAs. What's really interesting is you talk again about you know the different road here. Thomas More is probably going to take that Pool B bid. Though who knows? We don't know what what might happen in that ACAA tournament uh, to, to maybe derail some of that. But you knew going in that you weren't going to have access to it. Did it did it affect what you were going to do when? your non-conference scheduling, or was this AEC, which was thrown together basically in a year's time, happened so quickly you didn't really have a lot of time to impact this year's uh, schedule? Um, well, I mean, we always try and schedule strong teams sure. out of conference because that's how we feel like it's going to prepare us for conference. So um, I, that really, I mean, I don't really think that that – that impacted as much. I mean, we still have a strong strength of schedule. We're playing solid teams and that has helped us. I mean, even though um, we don't have a lot of Atlantic region um, teams on our schedule this year, we have a lot, you know, within our region because of mileage and everything else. So, I mean, you know, us getting wins over Salisbury and Hopkins, those have all, um, I think, helped us out yeah. at the end of the day. Um, but also playing, you know, tough teams early on. I mean, we opened up the year with Emory and Henry. Um, and, you know, it was unfortunate that we lost to them. But then we turned around and we beat a, a strong Randolph-Macon team. So um, I think that all of, those, all of those games, you know, up to this moment have, have really prepared us um, for, you know, whatever may happen after the Atlantic East uh, tournament. Sure. Um, you know, we're fortunate that we've secured the uh, first round by, um, but you know, nothing's set in stone. We have, <laughs> like I said, we have Wesley Wednesday and we have Cabrini on Saturday and we lost to them by three the first time around right. at their place. And, um, you know, hopefully we can get the win uh, Wednesday, which will, and, and Cabrini gets their win on Wednesday, which will be a really interesting showdown for Saturday. Why shouldn't it be that way at the end of the year? Yeah. The last of the regular season. Certainly. I agree with you entirely. Um, you're led by what's interesting is you've got two juniors on this team, but they're, they're not the ones that jump out at you when you look at the stat sheet and they do in other ways, but you're led by a junior in Reagan lore and uh -huh. Katie McShay, McShay, a freshman is second on the team. And then you have Gabriella Haddad, who's a junior. The first two are averaging over 15 points a game. The third one at 12 points a game. You do have Tiffany McQueen, who's a great senior guard averaging just a shade under 10 points a game. But, you know, you have McShay actually also nearly a double-double. It's that underclassman group that's really driving you this year. Is that a little bit different than what you've had in the past? Um, I mean, yes and no. I mean, we had really big shoes to fill last year with losing Leah Hurst, our point guard, and uh, Nicole Viscuso, our starting center. So um, I think Tiffany has done a fantastic role of moving into that point guard position. She's really played an off-guard for us the last three years, and um she, with her experience and her ability to handle the ball and just, just her confidence and her leadership, she's done a great job of moving into that point guard position for us this year. And then um, I think with our, sen our senior leadership, I mean, we have um, Abby Fisher, who's coming off the bench for us. Uh, Abby was actually out her entire junior year. Um, with some um, with an injury, and we're fortunate for her to come back this year. Uh, but she's got so much passion, and she's just 
um, a great, uh, she's really invested a lot into this program and she's really bought into what we're doing. And between her and TIFF, they've just really set a great example um, on the court um, with what they're doing every day, but the things that they're vocalizing and how they're preparing their teammates uh, for that next game. And then, you know, I mean, Reagan and Katie um, are just really driving the force when it comes to our points. I mean, Reagan gives us an outstanding um, outside threat, and she's really developed her game this year. We've been pushing her to look to attack in her mid-range game, which has made her even more of a threat. And then Katie coming in and her just, adjusting so quickly to the college pace, but then also our system has given us a fantastic inside force that um, I think in some ways we were concerned in in losing Nicole. Um, and then uh, I lost one of my returning um, centers in Taylor uh, Love uh, the beginning of the year to injury, season ending in injury. So we were we were kind of concerned what was going to happen with our center spot. So it was really great that Katie was able to adjust so quickly and what she's been able to do um, at this level. So, um, you know, we're just really been happy with her play. And then Gabby is um, just, she's so solid. I mean, she is freakishly athletic. She can jump through the roof. She has an incredible step-through move that's really difficult to um, to defend, but I think what really brings this all together is just fall, we fall back on our defense. Um, we focus on defense every single day, our rotations, and um, you know we're trying to figure out how are we going to you know stop our opponents. Um, and I think that the girls have really that's the part that they've bought into. And you know some of these are, girls are coming from high schools that they didn't focus on these certain rotations as much, and it, it is. It takes some time to pick them up, and I think that's what, another thing that's been a credit to Katie and that she's been able to pick up our defensive rotation so quickly. But it goes back to our senior leadership, um, along with Reagan and Gabby, also you know helping them along the way and in, in, in figuring all these things out. So I think it's it's been a really great combination um, of our returners setting the tone and setting the example, and then you know our freshmen coming in and picking things up quickly. Yeah, certainly an interesting uh, um, scenario for you guys this year in a lot of ways, a lot of mixing uh, of new things to some degree. Uh, you talked to, about Karen and, and picking her brain. We should point out you're on that uh, rack, I believe, if memory serves. Um, That's and an interesting rack this year because the Atlantic region, and I know you're somewhat new to it in the sense that You've been in the Mid-Atlantic, not that you're not familiar with the teams necessarily. You've got a Mac Freedom that's that's really good with the sales. Certainly they've been up there. Manhattanville and Misericordia have been showing uh, some solid play as well. You've got the, the NJAC, which seems a little bit down to some degree. They weren't even ranked in those first rankings. Then you guys are in the mix now as a new conference. There's a lot of moving parts there, maybe a little bit different this year in the Atlantic region. And what do you make of it, not as a committee member, but what do you make of it as a coach who's in that region as to you know, where's the best play? Where do you think you guys slot in? Um, I mean, obviously I was really happy with uh, where we fell um, in, in even being ranked um, and having that four slot is great. Um, but, you know, it's, it's still really early, and mm -hmm. there's a lot of big games to be had, and I think that we're just going to have to see how things shake out, and that's where it just comes back to we can't worry – we can't worry about the things that are out of our control sure. and we're going to just focus on one game at a time and, and what we can do in order to get that next win. You have only had one loss since mid-December. 
uh, really one loss since you guys came back from Christmas break because Elizabethtown tripped you guys up uh, to finish off your first semester of games uh, at their place. And then you, you've come back and only had that one loss. It was at Cabrini, as you mentioned, 54-51. And, of course, you get the return salvo here coming up uh, this week. Is is it? And it's going to be, sound like a little bit of a wonky question. Not that it's hard to motivate players. I know it's not hard necessarily, but is it hard to motivate when you're always winning? That sometimes losses can be really good motivational tools, if that makes any sense. Do you concern that sometimes you might rest on the laurels at the wrong time? Um, I actually think that's a great question, and I think that it's something that we we do struggle with at times, but I think that we're able to refocus the team quickly um, back to our goals and why we're doing this. And it's a really great group to work with because, you know, I mean, we, uh, I'm very much a coach that, um, you know, we have specific, we do a lot of the same things every day in practice and that can get boring and that can, you know, they, they come in, but I like that they can come in and they know what to expect and they know what to expect from me. And I think that when there have been times where maybe we're not as focused, we've been able to have someone speak up on the team, not necessarily from the coaching staff Mm. that kind of draws the team back in and says, you know, we're not practicing the way that we need to in order to get ready for that next game. And I think that that's where our leadership has come in so well with, Tiffany and Abby in that, you know, when things aren't going great before I even step up and and blow that whistle or stop practice, I can hear them and saying things to their teammates, whether it's as a group or just pulling certain people aside. And I think that that's what has, has made, you know, our team so great in in the last couple of years. and, And with the tradition that we've had is that, you know, we have girls that have bought into the system. We've, they've bought into our tradition, and, you know, they want to find a way to put a banner up. And I think that, that it's exciting being in the new conference and having the opportunity to put up the first Atlantic East Conference championship um, banner. Um, but we know it's not going to be an easy road yeah. by any means. So I think that especially now that we're getting towards the end, we're in the last week of the regular season, we see Wesley, who's an opponent that we've known for a long time, mm-hmm. uh, and then we're moving to Cabrini, who um, tripped us up You know, the first time we played them. I think that it's really easy for, for the girls to do – they've done a really good job of refocusing back in and, and finding ways to stay motivated because they're hungry. And uh, – uh, I think that they're doing a great job of, of staying hungry. Before I let you go, Gray basketball coach or court coach, um, did you guys give the, the painters the wrong memo? <laughs> I take it you're not a fan of our new court. No, it, I have no opinion. Uh, it's just been a running joke on the show since we've had a few people who've either played on the court um, or uh, your your old coach bill finney who's been on the show too knowing about the court so i just i can't resist an urge when there's a marymount connection to go hey great court really so i have no opinion because i really haven't i mean i've seen it on video it's a little weird on video but i haven't seen it in person no we're really happy with it we think it's it's unique um it sets us apart and we couldn't be more pleased with how it turned out it's almost like you were like oglethorpe but you didn't want to go all black yeah (laughs) i think that's awesome. I love it. I mean, I, I like uniqueness, so don't get me wrong. I just, it was one of those things at the beginning of the year, where every, it was kind of one, especially in our group, we all went, wait, wait, they got a great court? 
Hold on a second. Like it, it, it got you talking, didn't it? it? Oh, it has. It's been a small <laughs> little conversation piece on this show. We should have been sponsored by the court. Um, <laughs> no, it's a unique trait, and I, and I, I like the take on it. It was just it, I had to have a little fun moment with you. <laughs> I appreciate it. Oh. Hey, well, I appreciate the time too. Uh, fascinating uh, to see what you guys are in now in this in this evolution. Uh, obviously, two years with no bid, and then you'll get the bid back, but. Um, Fascinating to see it all play out. Looking forward to seeing how. Well, last quick question. I don't want to say the conference tournament doesn't mean anything, but you, do you, do you guys have to understand that? And technically, doesn't. I mean, do you know what I'm trying to get at? I'm not trying to diminish the tournament, but I'm also trying to be realistic of the fact that that's one of those rare tournaments that isn't going to decide anything. No, I mean it still means something to us. I mean, like yeah. you know. Before, I mean, I understand where you're going with that question, but at the same time, I mean, if we want to have a chance at NCAA's, right. we need to continue to win. So, um, while it doesn't get us that AQ, it it it's an awesome opportunity to be the first team that is the Atlantic East Conference champions. So, it definitely has a lot of meaning. It's just it's a little bit different than it has sure. in the in the past. Yeah, that's kind of where I was I was wanting from that. Yeah, perfect. I appreciate that. Obviously, they're still at stake, and you need to win the games. So. Thanks for the time, as always. We always give the coach the final word. Any final thoughts you want to share with those tuned in? Yeah, just two things real quick. I mean, Dave, is always, we're so appreciative of everything that you do for D3 basketball. Thank you for the opportunity for having uh, me on. And I, I want to just take a minute to thank two people that are behind the scenes of Marymount basketball, and they don't get a lot of credit, but they've been with us for four years. And those are my managers, Kaisley Solis and uh, Claire McNulty. Um, they do a lot of the dirty work, and they do it with a big smile on their face, and they're so invested. You would think that they were our starting point guard and two guard um, just with the things that they do. And as a coach and someone who uh, appreciates those around them that work really hard, I couldn't be more blessed to have those two a part of our program. So thanks for the opportunity for me to give me uh, give them a shout out because sure. they do a lot for us. Good because I, I thought you were going to mention Kyle and then I was just going to cut the phone call off. <laughs> <laughs> Kyle does a lot for us. He as does. Well. He does. He he right. will get his shout out at the end of the show for sure. I Ash- think he just got his. I I think he did. You're right. I can wipe that off. I don't need to worry about it next. Uh, Ashley, thanks for the time. Appreciate it as always. Good luck, and we'll talk to you soon. All right. Ashley Rogers joining us here on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline. Uh, Again, the team is, what were we saying, 19-5 and earlier? Uh, 18-5, 9-1 in conference play. Home games to finish off the regular season against Wesley and Cabrini and then into the AEC Conference Tournament. Take another break. When we come back, we'll go up to the Northeast. Maybe another team that's got a interesting basketball court yeah that wasn't done on purpose but it's still pretty cool we'll talk to mass boston coming up next you're listening to hoops presented by d3hoops.com from the wbca and abc studios back after this being a part of the different activities and organizations that i've been a part of i'm actually able to see myself where i'm like hey, I actually can make a change. I'm one person that can make a difference. Division Three has helped me to develop teamwork skills, critical thinking skills, time management skills. It's not just about basketball or it's not just about school. It's about developing yourself as a person altogether. Welcome to the University of Wisconsin-Eau Claire, home of Blue Gold Athletics. UW-Eau Claire has been ranked a top five regional public university for over 20 years. We graduate champions with the lowest debt and highest return on investment in the Midwest. Blue Gold Athletics is a Director's Cup Top 20 Division III program offering 22 sports with almost 700 student-athletes. 
UW-Eau Claire is about excellence in the classroom, the field of competition, and the community. Are you the next Blue Gold? My name is Marcus Walker. I was All-State, won a state championship, a high school All-American, and played college and pro ball. I played because I love the game. I grind to be the best. I sweat because I put in work. I'm strong because I believe. When I want to bring it before game time, I come to the house that college basketball built, the CBE. No matter your skill, take it to another level. Elevate your game right here at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center. I coined my definition of success in 1934. My definition of success is peace of mind attained only through self-satisfaction and knowing you made the effort to do the best of which you're capable. It's like reputation and character. Reputation is what others perceive you to be. Character is what you are. It's on us to stop sexual assault. In any way that we can. To get a friend home safe. To never blame the victim. It's on us. To stand up. To make our community safe for all. It's on us. It's on us to look out for each other at parties. It's on us. To be more than just a bystander. To step up and say something. It's on us, all of us. To, to stop, stop sexual, sexual assault. assault. Learn how and take the pledge at itsonus.org. Sorry about that. Apparently one of our ads has uh, gone off the rails there. Not sure what's going on. Uh, we'll have to find a, figure that one out uh, and get that one solved, uh, I guess, in soon, because uh, we're going to run that ad again. If you've got questions for us, tweet us at D3Hoopsville or hashtag Hoopsville. Email us, Hoopsville at D3Hoops.com or join us on, or I should say, Dave.McHugh at D3Sports.com. We've done that a few times. Or join us on Facebook, Facebook.com slash Hoopsville. Certainly plenty of you on there, and we really appreciate it. Um, any other questions, we will try and get answered. I got one from Ryan Lewis regarding LaRoche. Uh, we'll talk, Ryan, about LaRoche a little bit later. Um, Flip asks us about center. If we're going to give them some love, we have given them some love. They've been on this show in the past, the center men's basketball team. They still only have three losses, and they're on my top 25 list this week. Let's see. They were um, – where did they slot in? Oh, they were 31st in total points. Now they're 20 and 3. Wouldn't be surprised with as many losses that took place in that upper echelon with teams if they jump into the top 25 this next week. All right, let's head back up to the Northeast, as it were, and talk about the another team that's got an interesting court, as it were. We talked about the uh, gray court that is in uh, at Marymount. There's a blue court, if you can believe it, at Mass Boston where their women's team is two games out of the Little East regular season top slot with a game against the team they beat sitting in first place ahead of them. In other words, there's a chance, just maybe a chance. Kristen Baugh joins us from Mass Boston women's team, who's 17-6, and 10-4 in LEC play. Coach, thanks for taking the time. Dave, thank you so much for having us. Uh, we're happy to be here. Well, I appreciate, you, I appreciate the time. It makes our job easier. Um, again, you guys are, are 17 and six, but more importantly, 10 and four in conference play. 
Uh, the last couple of weeks have been a little bit bumpy, but really it kind of comes down to this. You got another game against Mass Dartmouth. If you can beat them and win at Rhode Island, there's an outside chance you got the games coming through your court. Am I correct? Yeah, you're correct. I mean, at this time of year, there's so many circumstances with what could happen. Right. So, um, you know, we're just focusing on doing our job. And, you know, right now it's about us. Um, you know, in February, players take over and they know from now, from, you know, from the start of the season to now, what it takes, you know, what it takes to beat Dartmouth, um, what it takes to play defense, what, what winning looks like. So, we're just focused on that every day and winning the effort game. We talk a lot about winning the effort game in practice. Uh, we talk about it in the classroom and um, every day we kind of evaluate, did we win the effort game today? And, and that's how we just try to get better. Talking with uh, Kristen Baugh here, head coach of the Mass Boston women's basketball team and coach. You know, it's just two losses or three losses since the other side of the break. Scranton got you guys, then Bridgewater state, then, then you've had three since then in Southern Maine, Castleton, Eastern Connecticut. What's been the highs of the season? What's worked so well? And what hasn't that we've seen in those losses? Um, in those losses, I mean, at the WPI tournament, one of our starting two guard, Megan Dixon, um, phenomenal 5'10 shooter, just, just kind of turned into a big playmaker as well as a great shooter this year. She went down um, with an ACL and, I felt like it took us a little while to regroup, to understand she wasn't coming back and to learn how to play without her because she did play some dominant minutes and made a lot of different things happen for us. Um, so once we did that, I think Dart at Dartmouth was really that regroup game. Uh, we didn't show up versus Bridgewater, and we really bounced back, you know, where just talked about everybody doing their job. You know, everyone in the locker room is good at something, and if everyone could bring that to the table – then it was going to be a great game, and that it was on the road. Yeah, um, So that's definitely kind of how we kind of bounced back of just kind of figuring out our new identity uh, with that starting two guard going down. Well, those are the things. You lost to Bridgewater State on the on the 3rd of January, 74-50. Mm-hmm. But the bounce back to Mass Dartmouth at their place, 75-72, two days later, that's, that's called figuring things out darn quick. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and, you know, think, um, I think, you know, teams have choices every year to buy back into the process and, and get engaged again, um, you know, and, and to do things with some sense of urgency. Um, and I, I felt like that game was, was big for us, in, you know, because we could have taken a left and, and kind of folded, and we really regrouped. I was really proud of my kids. You know, leadership has been something that's been a roller coaster because we are maybe, I know last year we were probably the youngest team in the country and we might mm-hmm. still be that. You know, I have 10, so- 10 sophomores, 11 sophomores on the court, <laughs> two juniors and one freshman. So we're still a really young team um, trying to figure out, you know, who wants the reins. And, you know, I think it's put some ownership for everyone to kind of do a little something to add to that leadership piece and, um, I think that's what makes us dangerous on the court. You know, every night someone can put up a big night. But they've all really gravitated towards taking a little bit of, of that role of of what leadership should look like this year. I just got news from the uh, Little East Conference. They say if no team has a senior, they're not going to be able to be participating in the tournament. <laughs> sorry. I'm really sorry to be the bearer of bad news there. Uh, Daryl Kanicki just texted me and uh, – 
I kid. Obviously, you hinted at it there. There's no seniors on this team. Your your top five right. scorers are sophomores, and Jelini Jackson cool. at 15 points a game, Joey Gracie at 13 points a game, to uh, Tajay uh, Mazik at 10.5 points a game, Meg Dixon at 6.8, and Gina Williams at 6.4. Oh, and by the way, you also have juniors and freshmen on the team, but that's an you don't see that every day in college basketball where it's so much of the youth leading the way, and you have absolutely no seniors. That, that's just a weird quirk. How did that all develop? Um, you know, we just had we had some culture things. We had to um, kind of make just kind of go in another direction for the program, so that we were representing UMass Boston women's basketball in a positive light around campus, academically as well as um, on the floor. Um, so we just decided to go in and make some changes, and you know, character and commitment became a big part of recruiting for us. Um, I think I brought back three kids from. That um, my second year, and then I brought in 14 freshmen. Um, and out of those 14 freshmen, I believe eight or nine are left. So it's just state school basketball, whether it's a turnover <laughs> or Division three basketball. Yeah. You know, parents go, "Why do you have a big roster?" Last year we had 17, and That's there's just big. turnover. There's there's just right. There's definitely not big now that I look at it. But there's it's just the name of the game at this level, whether it's financial or academic or I'm homesick or there's just a multitude of reasons of why um, there is turnover at this level. So, you know, I've kind of taken a different approach in recruiting now. I don't need 14 again, but five every year, no matter what. Um, I think in recruiting every year, I learned something about, about division three basketball, but that big class really bought into the process. You know, we pick a a word of the year every year. Last year was character. Mm -hmm. Because um, I knew character was going to be something that was going to be challenged, you know, high school into the transition into college athletics, as well as the social transition, um, you know, coming from being the best player and playing every minute. I knew that was going to be our biggest challenge. And this year is culture. You know, all they know is winning, and we have to sustain that culture, um, sustain that excellence, and what that looks like on a daily basis without captains. Because last year we did have three seniors right. that set the tone. So now we have 10 sophomores, two juniors, and a freshman that have to maintain that tone. And I really think they bought into that, and, and they're starting to really develop in what that what UMass Boston women's basketball should look like on a daily basis. You should point out two years ago, Olivia Murphy was one of those players you had oh, on the team. Oh, man. Jeez. Talk about a yes. talent you could you could circle <laughs> the wagons with. Um, yes. Yes, sir. By the way, I've gotten word from Daryl Kornicki. He claims those are lies, but I'm sticking by my original <laughs> premise. Uh, that's that's what he told me. Um, here's the thing. You hinted at there, still getting used to Division Three. You you have a Division One background. You played at Providence. Um, you coached at uh, Central Connecticut State. Um, uh, is that the only place you were at? I can't remember where else you may have coached um, at. I was at NJIT. That's right. Um, I was also at Winston-Salem State. Um, I was my first job out of college, and then I was a head coach on the men's side in the ABA for a year. That's right, at the Cheetahs of Carolina. Um, by the way, great name. Um, <laughs> curious. It's a lot of talent. <laughs> yeah. Curious. What drew yes. you to the Mass Boston job as a result of all of that D1 and other experience? And what has been your biggest adjustment? Um, you know, I, I um. So before, before I went to Central Connecticut State University, what a great experience I had there um, under Burl Piper, who's still the head coach there now. Um, I was a head coach for the Carolina Cheetahs 
um, which gave me, you know, an opportunity to, st- to stand up and coach the game. And it's a much different chair than being an assistant. There's so many more things happening where as an assistant you kind of focus on whether you're coaching the offensive or defensive side. So I, I just knew I, probably in my third year at Central I was starting to get the itch again to stand up. Um, I'm going to give a shout-out to my mentor, Tony Price, who encouraged me to, you know, I'm from Boston, encouraged me mm-hmm. to look at D3 jobs. You know, he had formerly, he's formerly the head coach at Simmons College. So um, I knew I was itching to kind of stand up again and run a program. And then this opportunity presents itself. Um, and I thought I owed it to myself and to the city of Boston, which gave me so much love um, growing up as a kid to at least take the interview. And when I, when I walked off campus and, and left Charlie Titus, I just knew I was back home. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I knew where I was going. I knew where I wanted to go eat. <laughs> um, I knew I had family in the area. So that was the draw to come back home. Um, I knew athletically we had better facilities than most Division One schools I worked at. That's true. I knew the being a research institution and the rest of campus and the amount of construction, that everything was coming together. You know, it's the best location in the city of Boston with the best price tag. So it really, I really thought I could be successful um, implementing my ideals as well as what UMass already had. Um, you talk about the facilities. <laughs> We were just talking I heard to you talk about the great court. Yeah, we were I talking about the great court to Marymount. <laughs> we're showing a picture now in the air of the blue court. Yeah. Uh, a little different than what Marymount did. Marymount did all gray the entire way. You guys went and out anything uh, but the interior of the of the three point arc is blue with a big, big, big logo in the middle. Uh what was the antithesis of this and uh how have people reacted to that floor? Well, you know, um we just look for ways to be a little different. Um the men's coach, Jason Harris, and I, they were redoing his office, and we knew we were going to have that floor redone. And we're just sitting there chatting about floors, and he has a D1 background as well. Doing all that travel, you see a lot of different floors. And we go, what if, what if we stain it blue? You know, and it was like this light bulb aha moment of it could make us a little bit different, you know, in recruiting um, and everything that was going on at UMass. It just made us a little bit different. Again, we have great facilities. Um, but we just thought it fit, you know, being right on the water, the beacon, the lighthouse. We thought it, it, it kind of matched the ideals of the university. Um, so we brought it we brought it upstairs, and, and we were approved. So I, we, we love our floor. Um, we tell the kids we're going to run on water and um, <laughs> try to get after those sprints. So, um, But, again, it was just an idea that came to fruition, and we're just so grateful that they believed in the idea. That's a crazy idea, but I love it. It's a nice look, <laughs> to say the least. Yeah, you got to stand yeah. out sometimes. Coach, I appreciate the time. Obviously, big game against Mass Dartmouth coming up. Win or lose, you guys are into the tournament, and there's obviously bigger fish to fry. So thus, Absolutely. I assume there's not you're not putting a ton of pressure on the team, I would assume. No, we just want to play hard. Yeah. Um, I think we know at this point of the year, when we defend and rebound, we have a chance to win. Um, so, and when we have rhythm basketball on both ends, offensively and defensively, we're a tough team to beat because we are so deep. So that's all we're looking for starting tomorrow in practice and continuing up until the end of the season. Well, I appreciate the time and we always have a tradition on the show. We give the coach the final word, any final thoughts you want to share with those who may be tuning in. Yeah, just go out and support, uh, women's basketball. It is a hot market right now. There's a lot of great teams out here. Here in the Boston area, we have more schools per capita than anywhere in the country. 
So there's a lot of great games to be had. And as always, go Beacon. Well said, Coach. Thanks for the time, as always. Uh, good luck the rest of the way. Looking forward to seeing how you guys play on, especially Wednesday against Dartmouth. But look forward to the rest of the way as well. And uh, we'll talk to you somewhere down the road, I suspect. Dave, we really appreciate it and have a great night. Thank you. Christina Baugh joining us here on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline. Great looking court, right? Um, if Marymount Saints fans are still watching, I'm not saying I love their court better than yours. I'm just saying it's a great looking court. Uh, <laughs> appreciate her having a big game on Wednesday against Dartmouth. Um, it won't necessarily decide who's going to host that tournament because all Dartmouth has to do is, is win their last one and they've gotten that. But it's a significant step that Boston is in the mix there with Dartmouth in that conference. And hats off. A little least, interesting to say the least, on the women's side. And uh, we'll see how it all plays out. With that, we'll take a break. When we come back, switch gears. We'll head all the way down to Texas. We'll talk, go to Dallas to be specific. University of Dallas men's coach Jared Samples will join us. He's a four-year member of the the men's national committee. We'll talk to him a little bit about the work that he's done there. We'll talk to him about why he has given back to the NABC so much. He's one of those guys who's always involved with the NABC in other ways. And uh, maybe we'll even talk about the team as well. We'll talk to him coming up in the NABC Coach's Corner. You're listening to Hoopsville presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA NABC Studios. Back with more when we get back. We are the coaches of women's basketball. We are leaders and teachers, dreamers and winners. We are professionals who conduct ourselves ethically and with integrity. We place the education, safety, and well-being of the athletes we coach above all else and teach them the fundamental values they need to succeed in life. We are coaches united for the good of our game and those who play it. We are the WBCA. Great moments are born from great opportunity. That's what you have here tonight. That's what you've earned here tonight. This is your time. Now go out there and take it. Big shots. Teamwork. This trophy is not given. It must be earned. The 2019 NCAA Division III Women's Basketball Championship, March 15th and 16th at the Krager Center in Salem. Bounces right back with a triple. Great job here. And that'll do it! Visit NCAA.com slash tickets and get your tickets today. It's on us. It's on all of us and it's time to act now. It's on us to start the change. It's on us to be the change. It's on us. It's on Division Three. It's on all of us to stop sexual assault.
Welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody. Sorry about that. Trying to get our uh, promos out there. We'll get the uh, official tweet out there for our next segment shortly. If you've got questions for us, tweet us at D3Hoopsville and hashtag Hoopsville. Join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Hoopsville. You can also uh, email us dave.mchugh at d3sports.com. We'll try and get you some uh, answers to whatever questions you might have. Maybe some shout-outs as well. We'll see what we can do. Uh, we're into hour number two here of a show that's going to go a little over two hours here this Sunday evening. Still ahead, we will be talking to North Carolina Wesleyan's men's basketball coach, John Thompson. Then Bob Quillman will join us to break down the central region. And then uh, Ryan Scott will join us as well to discuss things with Bob um, regarding uh, the top 25. And we'll try and answer your questions as well. Obviously, second week of regional rankings will appear on Wednesday, so there's certainly a lot to discuss. In the meantime, though, speaking of rankings, one of the members of the National Men's Basketball Committee is uh, Jared Samples, the head coach at University of Dallas, representing the South region. He is a four-year member of that committee. Though he's not the chair this year, he still does a ton of work behind the scenes, to say the least. He also does a lot of work with the NABC. And While we've tried in the past, we finally got a hold of him. And we're putting him on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline. He joins us there. Jared, thanks so much for taking the time, sir. Thanks for having me, Dave. Absolutely. I appreciate it it as well. Um, First and foremost, being in NABC Coach's Corner, we should point out that not everybody who who gives back to the NABC, per se, does it with committees and um, finding ways to to do all-star games or whatever the case may be. You seem, maybe I'm dead wrong, you can, you can correct me later, you seem to be the guy who, who just finds his way to doing what people need to be done whenever it needs to be done, whether it's at the championship weekend or elsewhere. Yeah, I mean, anytime you can give back, um, that's what it's all about, just trying to provide these student-athletes with a great experience. So I've been lucky enough to, to work with some great people, both on the National Committee and on the NABC All-Star Committee. Um, so it's been a lot of fun for me. Definitely don't see it as work. Um, a lot of fun. Well, you talk about giving back. Why Why is it so important? There's 450 men's coaches in Division Three alone. We certainly don't see all 450 give back, and I'm not trying to say they have to. But why for you is it so important to be involved in the way you are? I think it's all about the student-athlete experience. Um, these kids give so much to their institutions, and anytime you can help um, make that experience a little bit better, um, you, you want to do that. And, you know, it's not just me. There's a lot of other coaches out there that, that, that help with that. But like I said, I think the main thing is just helping provide a better student-athlete experience because they do give up so much um, with their time. So... You give up a lot of your time, obviously, to coach them and recruit them and make sure that they're doing right. How do you then turn around and then find more time <laughs> to give back to your own coaches and to give back to the game? I mean, there's there's a lot of time here. <laughs> it, it, it is, and it keeps me out of trouble, I guess, because um, there's, there's always something to do. But like <laughs> I said, um, I enjoy it. Um, it beats sitting behind a desk 9 to 5 every day. Um, you, you're dealing with basketball, student-athletes. It doesn't get much better than that, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, I'll give you that. It's kind of one of the reasons we're involved with this, to say the least. Uh, you're down in that unique part of the country, down in the south. Uh, one would understand if D1 grabs all the headlines, especially in your neck of the woods in Dallas, 
um, but there's still quite a few Division Three schools. Do you think the Division Three gets a fair shake at the NABC, and is that one of the other reasons you, you, you want to make sure to give back? Uh, I, I do, especially now with the leadership with Charlie Brock, yeah. Pat Cunningham, and, and Gary Stewart um, with the NABC. Um, I think we're having more of a voice, which is great. Um, you know, I think that's something we fought for years, trying to get a louder voice. But um, Charlie's been great, along with those other two guys, of help you know support our causes and, and giving us a voice um, on the national level. So it, it's been great, and I think it's hopefully it'll continue to grow um, from from where where we're at now. And the other ways you've been given back here, as we said, a four-year member of the uh, men's basketball committee on the national level, and obviously that probably I can't remember how many years you were on the regional committee before that. Um, yeah, I'm drawing a blank there, but the four years alone, I know that's a lot of work, and a lot of people have to understand, that's not just about rankings and picking teams. You guys do a lot of work throughout the year in general about the game. Sure, sure. Um, I was on the rack three years before the National okay. Committee, so um, it, it is a lot of work, you know, when you're diving into numbers. And the one thing that I'll say with the committee members and even my rack members is those guys, I mean, they do their homework, and they want to, they want to make the right decision, um, and it's not always easy, so you have to dig into the numbers, look at a lot of different things, um, but there's no agendas. They're just trying to do what's best for the game and trying to get the best teams put into the tournament to make the best tournaments possible. So um, it, it is a lot of work, but at the same time, it's eye-opening when you first get on there to see all the different numbers. <laughs> Sometimes it can seem overwhelming at first. Um, but then you kind of get in a groove and, and you start to understand them. So um, it, it's been a lot of fun. And like I said, it's been great people, both on the national committee and on my rack, that I've been able to work with. What, how much has changed in the seven years of being rack and national committee? From oh. whether it's the, 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 the rankings, the way you guys do things, or how things are selected, how much has changed, or maybe how much hasn't changed? Have we really gotten into a groove to some degree? I would say a little bit of a groove, I feel like. Um, obviously, I know the .03 this year um, is a little bit different doing away with that um, due to the NCAA instructors to stay away from that because it's not part of the primary criteria. But that doesn't make the SOS any less important or the win-loss percentage any less important. Sure. We still dig into those numbers, and when you're comparing teams trying to make decisions, it's tough sometimes. And when it comes down to it, you're looking for anything, a little what will separate teams just a little bit, um, you know, to help help rank one team ahead of another. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, we've talked in uh, quite a bit with Sam Atkinson, the chair, about that .03 to two game thing. So we don't need to dive in with you necessarily. But let's talk about a little bit more about what you guys do outside of just, you know, selecting teams and running the tournament. Obviously, we'll get to the big one, which was, you know, deciding who hosts the championships. But having talked to some committee members, you guys get very much involved in, in the rules side of things. You get involved with the, the evolution of the game. And obviously with the D1 side of things, while it wasn't, you know, the investigation, the Condoleezza Rice scenario and all that stuff didn't revolve around Division Three. It can affect it, and you guys can get dragged into a lot of conversations. Yeah, this year um, they asked our opinion, our committee, our national committee's opinion on the summer camps that, that are going to be happening that came down to the, the Condoleezza Rice thing with Division One um, recruits, and uh, they wanted to know 
our thoughts, you know, on Division three coaches working those camps. And I think I believe they asked the Division two National Committee as well their opinion. So we we do get drug into some things like that, and uh, it's not all just picking teams and, and running the championships. But, again, um, from my standpoint, it, it makes me feel better just because they do want our input, and it does carry some weight um, with some other uh, some other. Uh, aspects of the game of basketball of course you've been on the committee bringing in a overall official head of officials too i mean that's a that's a huge game changer in division three yeah jim's been great jim haney the national coordinator division three officials been great for our game it's going to be great for the tournament this year and i think it's just great moving forward down the road um, just to have some accountability and a leadership role that he's in to you know, make sure the message is getting out there to, to officials across the country um, so the so the games are called the same in California or Virginia. And he's been a great addition, I, I believe. And like I said, I think it's going to be get, just get even better as we move forward with him. What is one of the big decisions you guys made as a committee? And, and while Sam was on the committee, and, and I can't remember who his cohort is in their third year, uh, they were on the committee. They were brand new to the committee when you all had to make a decision on where to take the championships or not take the championships next is probably a better way of saying it, whether to keep it in Salem or move it to a new site or some variation of that, as we've heard over the years since the decision was made. Can you give us a little insight on on what it what that all not all boiled down to, but what did you guys have to process to make that decision to move to Fort Wayne and and what kind of you know where did that all kind of evolve in your mind? Sure, um, you know obviously there was NCA bids and information provided to us, and you just kind of go through the whole process that the committee did, and you know people talk about different sites, and you know it ended up being Fort Wayne, but you know it was nothing Salem did wrong or anything. We, yeah. I think Salem was been great, and I don't think we can thank those people enough for, again, the, the positive experiences they provided the student-athletes that uh, that were able to go down there and play in those games. So um, this year it's in Fort Wayne, and I think people are excited. Uh, I know the National Committee is excited, and we're looking forward to it. The Visit Fort Wayne people have done a great job of promoting it, and along with the people from Memorial Coliseum there in Fort Wayne. So um, it's, it's going to be different, but I think it's going to be fun, and, and uh, we're looking forward to it. Curiosity, and I'm, it's kind of a weird question to maybe ask, but there's a lot of speculation that that the committees didn't realize what was going on, that football didn't realize basketball might might pull out of Salem, and basketball didn't realize football might pull out. And I know the women weren't aware that you guys were going to pull out because I think they kind of were looking at could we do a, a, a dual championship in one city. Are those conversations taking place? Are you guys totally isolated in your committee about the decisions you're making, even if it is an iconic city in Division Three like it, like Salem? I I didn't personally have any, and we didn't have any idea, at least I didn't, about the other sport committees. Now maybe our NCAA liaisons might have talked to other NCAA liaisons, but our committee um, did not know what other committees were doing, um, as far as I know. I didn't okay. know. <laughs> Yeah, I'm just curious. What what would you change about the whole process? And this is irrelevant of whatever city it is. Um, I know last one got dragged out a little bit thanks to the North Carolina laws. So this may not be the best question to ask. But is there something about the process you'd love to see different? Would you like to visit sites? Because I don't think you actually visit them necessarily 
Um, is there another way of doing it that, that would help you guys make a decision in general? I, I do mean that in a general way. Sure, sure. Um, first of all, this is way above my pay grade. <laughs> well, that's, <laughs> that's why that's I'm asking. Sure. You're heading out. Yeah, you don't need yeah. to worry about it. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, obviously uh, site visits would be uh, great, I believe, you know, to be okay. able to actually go out and visit those different places and, and meet some people um, that, that would be help hosting the championship would definitely be beneficial, I think, moving forward. But, again, that costs money, and <laughs> we, we know how that We don't worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> There's no money problems in Division Three, Jared. What are you talking about? Um, speaking of that, though, uh, how hard is it when it comes to bracketing for you guys? I mean, we talk about money spending. How hard is that in a general sense to really put the bracket you want together? And how much is it trying to plead and beg or, or even finagle Alex and the NCAA to give you what you want? Sure, sure. I mean, it's, it's tough um, when you're handcuffed a little bit. I think, though, you know, the last three years I've been on the national committee, we've done our best to try to make it a national tournament. And it might mean a team drives 490 miles instead of, you know, 20 miles down the road. But the feedback that we've gotten from coaches uh, has been very positive. Um, they, they love having to travel and play someone different. Um, and everything that we've gotten feedback from with trying to make it a national tournament has been very positive, And um, I can see us trying to do that again this year as well. What Curiosity, how, how did the mock – or the last two rankings, the mock ones, which we don't see, which is practice for you guys, and the first week rankings go from your vantage point, both from your south rack and from a national point of view. How did, how did they go? Um, did you find things that were challenging? Did you did anything surprise you? No, I think I think they went well the first two weeks. Like I said earlier, I think we got a great group of guys on my rack and also on the national committee, and, and people seem to be on the same page. And, you know, like I said, you just try to do the best you can when you dig into the numbers and, you know, make comparisons. And, you know, like I said earlier, no one has a, an agenda. You're just trying to do the best job you can yeah. um, for, for the game of basketball and put the best teams forward for the, for the national tournament. As a four-year member, do you get to finally pull rank and say, hey, I am not overseeing any teams in Fort Wayne. <laughs> I'm not going to be responsible for the cheerleaders or the bands. I'm not going to be. I'm going to sit back and enjoy this. I've been working hard enough. I, I, this is my, this is your reward to me. Did you get to do that this year? No way, no way, man. <laughs> I'm just, a, I'm, I'm a good marching soldier. Whatever they you tell me to do. You are, but I'm you're in do. your fourth year, Jared. <laughs> you're done hey, after this. It, hey, it, it, it's fun when you have a team. I have no problem with that. It's fun when you have band and cheerleaders. I have no problem with that. So I'm just happy. I'm just happy to be there and being able to watch the games and. And, and have some fun talking with some other guys that are there. Add a new assignment. You're assigned to the Hoopsville stage, and I'll just let you hang out and relax. Hey, I can do that, too. There you <laughs> go. Hey, real quick about your team. Uh, not the season I'm sure you wanted to have, 9-14, and 6-8 and eight in conference play. There was a point about midway through the season, late December into the new year, I thought you guys had found yourselves five straight wins, but it felt like things have uh, unfortunately come off the rails since then, 3-6 and six, since then with Shriner and Trinity on the road coming up and just not the season you expected just bad luck well we're, we're extremely young we have a lot of sophomores and some freshmen that are playing a lot of minutes for us so it, it's been the issue trying to be consistent and uh that's just part of it with young guys and hopefully you know the minutes these guys are playing now are going to pay off for us down the road uh, but that stretch when we we rattled off some wins there is 
we were making shots, and it's amazing how everything's easier when you're making <laughs> shots. Yeah, it is amazing, isn't it? <laughs> suddenly, suddenly the game's very easy. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Obviously, Trini- uh, Shriner coming up, and then you got your old uh, nemesis, Trinity, coming up with uh, Pat Cunningham. I assume you guys want to at least finish strong and, and then see what you can do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, like I said, trying to get back to that consistency that we had earlier and finish strong these last couple of games and see what we can do in the conference tournament. Uh, if you don't mind, before we let you go, we always have uh, the same bunch of questions we ask every coach in the NABC Coaches Corner just to get to hear the different types of answers if you want to have a little fun with us. Fire away. Let's go. Awesome. Dave. I love it. Uh, best part of coaching in Division Three. Best part of coaching, uh, easy answer, is the relationship with the student-athletes. Um, you know, getting to impact their lives and nothing more rewarding when you're able to go to a former player's wedding and uh, uh-huh. catch that. That's awesome. Well said. Uh, what's your biggest pet peeve as a coach? Mm, biggest pet peeve? Probably punctuality. Oh, um, okay. You know, and it's not just for my players, but it's everyone I run into. I, my, my saying early is on time, and on time is late. So mm. um, just being respectful of people's time, whether it's the athletic trainer, if you're supposed to be there, or a meeting on campus with a professor with my guys, I always stress to be early. So that, that's definitely a pet peeve of mine. I think it was a traffic problem, but we had an official at a game I was at recently had to step on about halfway through the first half. Uh, that probably would have driven you up the wall. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, is there a rule or a nuance to the game that you love? Um, man, I would say right now, and this is from a little bit different perspective, you know, I love the shot clock, and I think it's needed in high schools. Okay. Um, especially here in Texas, nothing more frustrating when you go try <laughs> to watch a recruit play, and next thing you know, they're, they're holding the ball for three minutes of a quarter oh. um, because the team's in a zone, and... That's not really basketball. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, that I give you that. Uh, is there a rule? I have a feeling I see where this is going. Do you have a rule that you would like to see be changed, added, or removed? Changed, added, or removed? Uh, this is a little bit different. Actually, talking to a good coaching friend of mine, Dad McCracken at Hendricks. Oh, um, wow, this yeah. Got, this got brought up. Um, He's trouble, by the way. <laughs> most of the time. Most yes. of the time. Um, <laughs> I, I, we talk about the block charge call in the paint. Um, you know, it's probably one of the toughest and most controversial calls mm-hmm. you know, with officials. You know, they're trying to determine whether they're in the restricted area, if their feet are set, um, and also sometimes because it becomes a safety issue with someone sliding sure. over, someone leaves the floor. So we talked about just getting rid of that and just, you know, you have to challenge with verticality. And I think players are getting better the last couple of years now that, that that's been um, – an important thing to learn and uh, maybe making it a little bit easier on officials by getting rid of the block charge call. How do you mean? Um, that one's got well, me perplexed. What do, you, what do you mean get rid of it? I, well, you can't take a charge in the paint, so you have to challenge verti- vertically by leaving your feet and going oh, straight up. wow. So, like I said, it takes out the official. Was he in the restricted area? Was he moving? Um, they have to leave their feet and challenge vertically. So they can't be uh, sitting there waiting for a guy and, and get to be plowed over. You want them to literally play defense. Correct. Correct. That's a, just a thought, fascinating just a something idea. Different, something different like me and Dad talk about. So All right, I you, Thad, and I, are we're sitting down in Fort Wayne. I want more on this. I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued. All right, let's move on, but I'm intrigued. Oh, that's interesting. I just had a controversial or close one this weekend. All right, anyway, moving on. Wow, you, you could get me in a whole other tangent. Um, 
what would your assistants, mainly Matt, mainly Matt, what would he say he'd want to see you change as a coach? I don't know if it's changed, but it's probably do more, and, and that's recruiting. <laughs> more phone calls, more texts, okay. more handwritten notes. I think it's one of those things with recruiting, and he's our recruiting coordinator, and he does an unbelievable job. Is you know, our, uh, In recruiting, you can never do enough. You're always yeah. behind. There's always something more you can do. So I know that would probably be at the top of his list for me to do more recruiting. Okay. Fascinating. All right. Um what do you say? What can you say to a referee that gets you right up to the line of maybe earning a technical, but doesn't quite get the whistle? You know, and this is a little bit different as well. I don't know if it's saying something, but I think it's gestures, moving okay. your, throwing your arms up, hands crossing your arms quickly. Uh, that'll get you usually the the evil eye from the official pretty quick, <laughs> and hopefully not get the T. But the, they'll definitely catch their catch their attention, and they're usually not too happy about that. Yeah, I notice you have your hands in your pocket a lot when you get frustrated. <laughs> I have noticed that. Uh, when you retire, all good coaches do. What do you hope people remember when uh, remember you as a coach? Uh, I think it goes back kind of to the first question. Just hopefully someone. People remember me as someone that made a positive impact on my student-athletes. And, you know, our goal is for our guys to be, you know, when they graduate, better men, better husbands, better fathers. And hopefully we have a, a small role in that um, once, they, once they finish playing for me. Well, I appreciate the time. Uh, great conversation to have with you. I always love seeing you in uh, the Final Four weekend. Looking forward to seeing you this year. As always, we give the coach the final word. Any final thoughts you'd like to share with those tuned in? Sure, just a couple of things. Uh, I'd like to encourage people to, to make plans to get to Fort Wayne uh, here in the spring in a few weeks. It, it's going to be a great atmosphere, great basketball, an ABC All-Star game there mm-hmm. and the Final Four game. So can't encourage people enough to make plans. Um, you can get your tickets at the Manchester uh, University Athletic website. Um, and then other than that, just like to thank you, Dave, for all you do for D3 basketball, you know, the promotion of our teams and the student-athletes. Um, we can't thank you enough. So look forward to catching up in Fort Wayne with you for sure. Absolutely. Well, thank you for your time. Take care. Safe travels. We'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Thanks, Dave. Awesome. Jared Samples joining us on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline. All interviews on the Hoopsville Hotline are courtesy of our partners at Blue Frame Technology. They are industry-leading production truck software. Is your college ready to showcase its teams through a reliable and innovative video streaming service that won't break your budget? Blue Frame's advanced digital broadcast tools will help your broadcast get to the next level. Learn more today by visiting blueframetech.com. That's www.blueframetech.com. And if you do... Tell them I said hi. Tell them you learned about it from me uh, just so we can uh, they can understand uh, that, that this is working. We're going to take another break. When we come back, we'll go back over to North Carolina. The battling Bishops men's basketball coach, John Thompson, joins us to talk about the USA South and his squad and what it's going to take to finish this season strong. You're listening to Hoopsville, presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC Studios. More Hoopsville after this. I learned a lot of valuable lessons playing college football. I never thought about the health benefits of exercise until I actually started to talk to coaches in college. It's not only just for performance, it's for life. My coaches instilled the importance of well-being, not only building up strength, mental health, getting enough sleep, eating properly, it's all what it is to be healthy. I decided that I want to go on a personal trainer and share my knowledge that I obtained in college about physical and mental well-being. 
UW-Eau Claire and Mayo Clinic Health System are creating amazing opportunities for students from across the Midwest. Our collaborative research agreement allows students to work with world-renowned physicians and scientists. And with more than 80 majors, UW-Eau Claire is the perfect fit for those who dream big and are ready to change the world. I used to never really talk, ever. Uh, I was afraid if I said something wrong, everyone would laugh at me. But then I started to play golf with Special Olympics. It helped me to find my voice. And now everyone else is speechless. Great moments are born from great opportunity. That's what you have here tonight. That's what you've earned here tonight. This is your time. Now go out there and take it. College basketball lives in Kansas City at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center. The College Basketball Experience is the place to get your game on. It's not a museum, it's an experience you won't forget. Discover the history of the game in the National Collegiate Basketball Hall of Fame, featuring the Gallery of Honor, Mentor Circle, and Honor Theater. Suit up in the latest CBE-logoed Nike gear at the CBE Hoop Shop. Elevate your game today and visit the house that college basketball built. And welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody, here on this Sunday evening. If you got questions for us, tweet us, D uh, tweet us at D3Hoopsville or hashtag Hoopsville. Email us, Hoopsville at D3Hoops.com. I'm sorry, that's Dave.McHugh at D3Sports.com. Did it again. It's what happens when you've had like seven, eight, nine years of, of saying that all the time. Or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Hoopsville. We're simulcasting the show. We're also simulcasting the show on Periscope. Um, if you got questions for us or comments or whatever, send them our way via any of the mediums you might be listening to the show on. We certainly will appreciate it, and uh, we'll try and get your questions answered. Coming up, Bob Quillman will break down the central region, and then Ryan Scott will join us as well, and we will talk uh, top 25. Let's Before we get there, though, let's talk south region, which we always do here on the show. And um, one of the things that's, that's interesting when you look at the south region, I think, has always been the USA South. And maybe I thought it was going to be a little bit different this year, but it feels like it's a little bit more of a quagmire than it was. North Carolina Wesleyan is free and clear on their side of things uh, over Methodist. Uh, that really didn't turn into a race. On the other side, Covenant is the one on top of Maryville, who had maybe a rougher season than we expected. So when trying to figure out who we're going to talk to, I figured we'd talk to one we haven't talked to in a while. That is the Battling Bishops of North Carolina Wesleyan. John Thompson's squad is 18-5 and overall, 11-4. and Clearly, things uh, are going well, but there's a lot, lot more road to hoe uh, to to road down, as we say. I'm making up words here. I guess the coffee didn't kick in this morning. But joining us on the uh, Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline, it is John Thompson of the Battling Bishops and Coach. Thanks for taking the time to join us. Thanks for having me, Dave. Absolutely. Curious. Um, the USA South this year just feels odd. I don't know. It, it felt like the conference was going to be a little bit um, more of a, of a factor, maybe. And maybe I'm missing something. Maybe I'm so distracted with everything else 
that I'm not seeing it. But it feels like you guys have all been flying a little bit under the radar this season. Well, I, I certainly think flying under the radar is is uh, probably an appropriate way to describe it. Um, you know, there are so many good teams in the South region, um, but but our league is very good. Uh, Covenant and Maryville and Lagrange, particularly on the west side uh, this year. Uh, Huntingdon is much improved, uh, mm. you know, and, you know, I think on the east side, um, you know, Methodist has surprised some folks, uh, I, I think, in the kind of the second half of the year, they've done some good things, and, um, you know, the league is so big yeah. and uh, so diverse geographically um you know, that I, I think we beat up on each other a little bit, and, and that uh, oftentimes hurts us. <clears throat> but I also think uh, because we're so diverse geographically, we don't play a lot of similar uh, non-conference opponents at times. So it, that makes things look a little bit different at times. Um, so, you know, I don't know what to say except – uh, if you haven't seen our teams, there's some pretty good teams in our league. Yeah. Well, and Maryville last year certainly helped carry the mantle along with others. They had a rougher start to the season than I think a lot of people thought. I know I was voting for the top 25, and I thought by default it would drag maybe some other teams out into the public as well, and maybe um, right. that was part of it. Is You guys were always picked to, to win your side of the division after the regular season. What was it about – what did all the other coaches see – that they knew about the battling bishops that seems to be living up to, to fruition that you'd be so good. What was it about this squad that everyone knew was going to be good? Well, I think, number one, we have experience. Uh, we have six seniors, and uh, those guys played on a conference championship team as uh, freshmen. They were all role players, all uh, you know, limited uh, in what they did as freshmen, but uh, were part of that. And then they uh, were very key players in winning the regular season in the East last year. Uh, so we had experience. Um, we, you know, among those seniors, uh, you know, three three-year starters, Robert Wilson, Chris Braswell, and Justin Tanklewitz, mm -hmm. uh, had all accomplished uh, quite a bit in the previous two years. And then we also add junior A.J. Fry, who two years ago was the rookie of the league, rookie of the year in the league, and then an all-conference performer last year um, in the post. And so, you know, we, we've got experience and we've got uh, some pretty good players who are back, and, and they're really the key to everything that we've done. Um, we've obviously got some additional pieces that – uh, Ricardo Bullock is a 6'10 kid who, uh, as a freshman, didn't play much at all. He's really developed. He was voted by his teammates the most improved player on the team wow. last year as a sophomore. And then this year he's become a starter and has played uh, a pivotal role for us. Um, so we, we've got a lot of pieces. Uh, Damon McDowell is a sophomore. Um He's had some explosive games. 
Um, he's been a starter at times, not at others, but we probably have six or seven guys that I think could start for us at any point. Uh, Josh Covington coming off the bench, but um, I really think that those six seniors uh, really set the tone. Uh, they are um, they're our kind of guys. <laughs> you know, they they really uh, have bought into what North Carolina Wesleyan basketball is all about. They've been team guys. They've been excellent leaders for us, and uh, I. I would assume that's what other people saw in us um, if they predicted any success for us. Well, what's really interesting, too, is you talk about the six seniors. What I find interesting is you're also willing to go about 10 deep in every game, almost every game. I shouldn't say every game. So you also have that depth. And obviously six seniors helps with that. But you've got underclassmen who are rising to the occasion as well. And that's as a coach, you've got to be you got to feel good about because it, it gives you options. It, absolutely, it does. And, um, you know, one of my favorite things as a coach is versatility in a player. And we have some versatility where guys can guard multiple positions and um, we can do multiple things. Robert Wilson, who I mentioned earlier, um, really came to us as a, as a forward, uh, but he's probably guarded – four positions in his career and, and has probably played four positions uh, in his career here. Um, Damon McDowell, uh, an, you know, the sophomore kid from Myrtle Beach for us, he plays all over the court. Um, and, you know, even even this past weekend, uh, Chris Braswell, who starts at the point for us, he arrived here as a shooting guard. We hmm. turned him into a point guard. and But he was playing some forward for us. Um, over the weekend. So um, we think that we've got some versatility. We do think we have some depth. Um, You know, another name I didn't mention, Cameron Martin has come in and really provided a spark for us off the bench at times. So it's one of those things where, uh, you know, early in the season, we were fortunate enough. um, We had lost to Guilford in a tournament up at Mary Washington but we got Guilford back at home, and in a game that we were fortunate enough to win, Josh Covington came off the bench and really played well at the point for us. And so Chris Braswell didn't play as many minutes that night as he might normally play. And there have been probably 10 other scenarios over the course of the season where you know, one guy comes in or a particular group comes in together and plays well, and, you know, we kind of roll with the guys who are playing well that night. And so uh, it does provide us some opportunities uh, with the depth that we have, uh, I think, to have some success. You talk uh, a little bit about the, the seniors, obviously, and a lot of the other guys. Fry leading the way, way we should point out, with 18-plus points a game, nearly a double-double with eight-and-a-half rebounds a game. You've got that core senior leadership, and we talk about also at the beginning of flying under the radar. Is there pressure now? First regional rankings came out. There's no USA South team on there. Granted, could change this week, but it kind of is a red alert to everybody. You got to win this conference to assure yourself you're absolutely getting into this NCAA tournament. With that many seniors wanting to finish strong, does that add pressure, or does that add just the right mix to finally, you know? 
put it all together, as it were, at the right time of the, at the end of the season here? Right. Well, you know, I think pressure really is what we all put on ourselves. Uh, I don't think that that will be any different than it is every other day that we hit the gym. Um, we talk, as I'm sure many people do, about controlling what we can control. Uh, we can't control the regional rankings. We can't control the national rankings. We can't control officials' calls. We can't control opposing fans. Uh, you know, when we go to other gyms, uh, we all we can control is how hard we work. We can control what we do in practice every day. We can control our effort, our energy, uh, our execution, and um, you know, we'll we'll let that stuff sort itself out. And, you know, the, the old, old cliches, the older I get, I know that old cliches become old cliches for a reason. And one game at a time is truly uh, whether you're 18 and five, or whether you're five and 18, mm-hmm. all you can do is focus on the next game at hand. And that's what we've tried to do all year. It's what we're trying to do this week. And uh, as we head into the tournament, that's what we'll do then. And I believe if we play to the best of our ability, we have a great chance. Now, having said that, <laughs> Maryville's very good. Yeah, Covenant's very good. Lagrange is very good. Methodist is very good. And and all the other teams who are below us, like we lost twice this week. We're eighteen and five, and we lost twice right. this week. Averett is very tough. Now, people will look and say, yeah, but they're only whatever. And I, don't, I can't tell you what their record is today. Seven wins, maybe. I'm not sure. Um, but I'm going to tell you what. They are a tough out. Huntingdon is really playing well. They would be a tough out in the tournament. Uh, so, again, I think if we play to the best of our ability, we have a great chance, and all that we do every day is try to control the things that we can control, be the best version of North Carolina Wesleyan that we can be, and uh, I, I think the wins and losses take care of themselves. Yeah, you kind of hit hit it where I was heading next. It was you know lost to Averett, seventy eight sixty five on the road, lost to Pfeiffer on the road this weekend, one thirty nine one thirty one, uh, destroying a. Some records in the process. You'll finish up at home against William Peace on Wednesday, and then your last game against Methodist. And I am assuming we we haven't really decided the conference tournament schedule at 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 all yet. So there's there's an element here of still flying a little bit blind on what what's around the next corner. Right, and so we can't worry about that. Right. Uh, again, that gets back to the things that are within your control, and. You're trying to figure out, well, you know, if, if this game goes this way or if that game goes that way and, you know, who would we play in the first round and what does it look like on the west side? All of that is really a waste of my time, a waste of a player's time. Um, what we need to focus on right now is playing peace. We need to focus on our preparation. We need to learn from the last two games things that we can learn we need to be as prepared as we can be and we need to go into wednesday night uh, ready to go 
And when that game is over, uh, we have a midnight rule. We, if, if we're fortunate enough to win against Peace, we would enjoy that win until midnight. Hmm. And then we've got to flip the switch. The next day, we're on to the next game. And uh, we, we've got to get locked in on uh, going to Methodist for their senior day uh, in the final game of the regular season. And, and those are the things that we can focus on. The, the tournament, as you said, is flying blind right now. So you know, I really haven't put much thought into it. Well, maybe it's a good thing you guys lost to Pfeiffer. The, the double overtime killed so much time you could have celebrated with. Um, <laughs> for midnight. Uh, it worked out for you. <laughs> We'll go with that anyway. <laughs> there we go. Perfect. Um, Coach, I appreciate the time. Should mention, by the way, Craig Smith says hello from Moorhead City. Um, said that on our chat boards. Um, in the meantime, absolutely. Uh, we always give the coach the final word. Any final thoughts you want to share with those tuned in? Well, again, I would just say, uh, you know, there are lots of good teams nationally, certainly in the South. There are lots of good teams. I do think that the USA South um, is worthy of note. And there are some very good teams, uh, very good players. If you haven't seen Maryville or Covenant or LaGrange or, you know, I will say North Carolina Wesleyan, we've been, um, you know, fortunate to, to have a good year thus far. Um, I think that, uh, we can be very competitive, and um, I'm very proud of our league. Our league has some outstanding coaches, you know, retiring guys like Randy Lambert, mm-hmm. and then young up-and-coming guys, Dave Duino and um, Caleb Kimbrough at, at Huntington is doing a heck of a job in his second full year there. Um, you know, this is a tough league, tough league. Well, it certainly is a fascinating league, that's for sure. You talked about its size earlier, and uh, there's a lot going on, and, and we appreciate your time to give us some insight on all of that and your Battling Bishop squad. Good luck the rest of the way, and we'll look forward to hopefully talking to you at a future time and place. Thanks so much. Absolutely. Appreciate what you do. Well, thank you, Coach. I appreciate you coming on. John Thompson joining us out of the South region in the, in the USA South. Again, the Battling Bishops stumbled of late, losing two in a row, but... They're kind of still in control of that East Division. Again, two games left. William Peace at home on the road at Methodist, and then they take the corner into the USA South Tournament, which we should all keep an eye on because uh, that's going to maybe shake up the South, help shake up the South region just a little bit. Week two's rankings will be interesting to look at as well. Take another break. When we come back, Bob Quillman will join us. The first break down the South or the Central region. I got some questions for his. Uh, point of view I want to get his perspective on and then we'll dive into the top 25 with Ryan Scott you're listening to Hoops Hope presented by d3hoops.com from the WBCA NABC studios Uh, we'll be back with more when we come back football has taught me a lot throughout my life it's definitely had a huge imprint on who I am as a person competing at a division three level created that opportunity for me to go to college not only was I the first one in my family to graduate college but I was really the first one to even go being the first one, I'm breaking that cycle, and, and now that I've graduated, I'm not sure what's the next step, but I know I have a lot of doors open. And a lot of those are open because I played football and ran track here at Otterbein.
for the love of the game. But for those of us who are Division III student-athletes, it's more than that, a lot more. Sure, the game is important, but as we work so hard to build both mind and body, it's more about team. That is why NCAA Division III teamed up with Special Olympics. And in giving the gift of sport to those for whom it seemed an impossible dream, we are working to make this a better world. Help us keep that dream alive. You can make a difference. I'm a Division III student athlete, and I know how powerful words can be. The term gay doesn't mean stupid, lame, or less than. So I pledge to speak up if I hear the term gay used in a derogatory way or any other homophobic terms. If you can play, you can play in Division III. I'm a Division III student athlete, and my teammates unconditionally accepted me as part of their family. So now I pledge to do the same for others. If you can play, you can play in Division III. We are the coaches of women's basketball. We are leaders and teachers, dreamers and winners. We are professionals who conduct ourselves ethically and with integrity. We place the education, safety, and well-being of the athletes we coach above all else and teach them the fundamental values they need to succeed in life. We are coaches united for the good of our game and those who play it. We are the WBCA. Welcome back to Hoopsville. I'm Mike Meller, head coach of Messiah Women's Basketball and member of the Women's Basketball Coaches Association. We really hope you enjoy the show. Back to you, Dave. Helps to plug in that microphone icon. Welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody. If you've got questions for us, tweet us at D3Hoopsville, hashtag Hoopsville. Email us dave.mcqueue at d3sports.com, where we've gotten a few emails today. Um, you can also join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash hoops awards simulcasting the show. And I got a question from Robert in there about the central region. We'll talk about in a moment with our guest, Bob Quillman. We're also on Periscope. So you can always, uh, get us there where we're streaming the game, uh, where Craig, uh, was somebody else earlier in the show was watching us. We know there's a good amount of you watching us across the board. There's also chat rooms on Facebook, as we mentioned, and on YouTube as well. All right. So the central region, as I said at the beginning of the show, I tried to, I made a conscious effort that there were a couple of regions. Uh, Great Lakes, I think might be one of them, central and northeast, where I wanted to always have a, a coach on or a student athlete or a school represented because there's so much to talk about in those regions. Northeast, of course, because it's also so big. Well, this week I got to the central region. I thought to myself, geez, do I dive back into the CCIW? Do we dive back in the WAC? Of course, we just had Stevens Point on the Thursday show uh, for non-basketball reasons. And I decided, no, what am I doing? I got this guy named Bob Quillman who's, who's suckered, I mean, friendly enough to join me on the show and talk about things. Why don't I talk to him about the darn central region before I dive into the top 25 with him? And of course, Bob being Bob said yes, and he now joins us on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline via Skype. And Bob, it is good to see you, sir. It's good to see you, uh, Dave. It's getting to be that uh, time of year where uh, basketball is getting exciting. We're winding down the regular season. The tournament's coming up, and there's a lot of drama. So, uh, as always, glad to be joining you. I'm pacing myself. I figured I, I had you on two weeks ago. I'll get you on this week. Then I can get you on in two weeks when we're doing all the all the selections. And I haven't pissed your wife off or over overextended my uh, rights with you, and I thought it was a perfect mix. She kind of knows the deal at this point, Dave. She knows that there might be a moment where I say, I've got that show thing tonight. So, you yeah, know, just I, like I, she knows every Wednesday and Saturday, 
uh, from like mid-December and through late February that I'm probably going to go in a room and hold myself up and watch some basketball. So she kind of, she's okay, Dave. <laughs> I, I appreciate your wife as much as I appreciate mine, <laughs> maybe a little less than mine. Um, there may be a, a group that should be formed amongst wives or spouses or somebody who get left to the side because of us. <laughs> I agree. Um, all right. So I want to talk central region. We're not going to talk a women too much folks. Um, I, I do want to dive into the women a little bit later. We're going to try and figure out a way to get Gordon on in the next week because he always has great insight on the women's side of things. So I'm going to stick with the men's primarily. I got an interesting question, as I said, from Robert, uh, in our, um, Facebook stream and i and Robert bear with us. I want to get to that in a moment, but let's talk about the, the conferences themselves first. Because this is the last week before all these conferences really dive into conference or finish up conference tournament time or a regular season and go into conference tournaments. CCIW couldn't be more of a mess at this point in time. Um, what did I had? I had the note earlier. Uh, we talked about this last Sunday with Ryan that I foresaw North Central about to walk into a problem after a big win, and I felt they were dubiously high, even though I had them just as high. It was a knock at myself. Lost to both Illinois Wesleyan and Wheaton. Uh, Wheaton split the week. Augustana somehow survived the week. By the way, fifth straight conference regular season title. Never been done in the CCIW. Tip of the hat to the Vikings. Um, and, and the mess continues. Augustana's free and clear. But North Central's now got a half-game lead on Wheaton. Illinois Wesleyan is just lurking back. Elmhurst is there. And Carroll, I feel like the top... The top six are okay and set, but we don't know who's playing who, and they're eating themselves for Pool C opportunities here. Yeah, and, and I'll also tip my cap to, to Gray Giovanni and his program. I mean, winning five uh, CCIW championships in a row, uh, first time it's ever been done, and uh, that's really hard to do in a league that's this good with this many good coaches. Um you know, things are coming into a little more focus, I think, Dave, because okay. like you said, they're the number one seed. Uh, number two seed is either North Central or Wheaton, and that's not determined yet. Um, so that two seed's big because you get a bye in the conference tournament. You don't have to play Tuesday. So there's some drama there. The four seed's pretty much locked up, and that's uh, barring some crazy stuff happening. That's Illinois Wesley, and that means they'll host that Tuesday game. Five is probably Elmhurst, but Carroll's going to have a little something to say about that. So. It's coming into a little more focus at this point, and I think you're looking at Augustana, North Central or Wheaton, Illinois Wesleyan, Elmhurst, Carroll. That's probably your your order. And we should point out North Central's got on the road at Carthage at Elmhurst this week. Wheaton only has one game um, midweek, interesting enough, at home against Milliken as they fight that out. But my concern is, and you go look at the rankings, is where things sit with these teams um, – ranking-wise and all of that jazz because you take too many losses and you're playing yourself right out of an at-large, basically a, a backup plan to get in the NCAA tournament because Augustana, they're locked, stocked, and barreled into the NCAA tournament no matter what, but nobody else has that guarantee as an at-large. No, the league has really eaten itself up. If you if you think about the big picture here and you know evidence that these teams are, are good – you know, we Augustana is a known commodity. I think we're all good there. Uh, you look at North Central, uh, the fact that they beat Augustana. You look at Wheaton, and they're the only team that's beaten Wisconsin Oshkosh. You look at Illinois Wesleyan and some of those narrow losses to great teams like Whitman, et cetera. Um, Elmhurst beat Marietta. 
The problem is, is that uh, the, the teams behind Augustana all just kind of beat each other up to the point that not one of them is a clear Pool C. At this point, if the selection was today, Wheaton would be a Pool C pick for sure, and North Central would be really at the end of the bubble and probably out, and, and that's it. Um, the problem is these teams are going to play each other some more. You know, Wheaton and North Central are going to face each other in the conference tournament probably in round two. So one of those teams loses again, right? Um, at this point, the CCIW could be. It's not crazy to think it's just Augustana, but I think another team, maybe it's Wheaton that emerges. Who knows? Yeah, and again, Wheaton is goes as Aston Francis goes. He only scored 49 the other day. I was kind of disappointed in the young man. Um, joking, folks. Um, I... I Illinois Wesleyan's fall off surprised us. North Central, we've talked about not quite getting a grip on how good are they, aren't they. Wheaton is by Aston Francis, all Aston Francis, and that's nothing to knock at. He's just that good. Is there a dark horse you would pick here if it's not Augustana? Is, is any of that group capable of winning this tournament, or is there somebody deeper that's going to make a run? Augustana would be the the heavy favorites, you know, with that tournament in Rock Island. Yeah. They're the heavy favorite to win that tournament. Now, you can look at evidence, though. Look, North Central beat them. Yeah. North Central beat them. Uh, Wheaton had a shot, had an Aston Francis shot in the final seconds to either tie or go ahead. So Wheaton has played them close. They have Aston Francis. Illinois Wesleyan in Rock Island played a game they led for – maybe 20, 25 minutes or so, and it was a game decided in the final minute or two. Was that game in December? That was an early game. Yeah. And so all of these teams that we're talking about, it's not like Augustana's blown them all out. No. Uh, and and look, Augustana almost lost at home to Elmhurst. <laughs> that was a game that um, famously ended uh, very kind of controversially with a block charge call. Carthage could have beaten Augustana. Uh, Nolan Evil goes coast to coast. So it's not like these games have not been competitive. And, and I do think any one of the teams that ends up in Rock Island could could win that tournament. Yeah, it, it's I'm with you. I, I'm not betting on Augustana to win the conference tournament. And, and geez, to be honest with you, we've seen the non-regular season winner or non-regular season title holder not necessarily win the conference tournament on a handful of occasions. It's not unheard of. So I, I could see it happening here. It's just, it'd be, Augustana has been about the most consistent of the CCIW. No question, unless you look at, again, some of the way these games have played true, out. True. Would we say the same thing if the games against Elmhurst and Carthage ended up differently? Those were in Rock Island. So I agree. I, I believe that Augustana, I, I haven't voted for them one in the last week, but I believe they're the best team in the country. Um, so I think they will win the conference tournament. But would it surprise me if North Central, Wheaton, Illinois Wesleyan, or Elmhurst won the conference tournament? Not really. Yeah. No, I'm with you. And and remember, I'm the one who who made that counter-argument with you about Augustana not really kind of dominating. Let's switch over to the WIAC. Speaking of uh, eating themselves and the young, uh, the WIAC has been, oh, a crazy turn. Um Lacrosse has lost three in a row. They're three and four in their last seven. So that great story has come off the rails a little bit. They're fifteen and eight, but they're still in second place in the conference. Though they only have a game lead now on a triple header of Stevens Point, Eau Claire, and Platteville. 
course, Oshkosh is looking like they're walking away with it. They've got a four-game lead. They've locked up the, the number one seed. Uh, Whitewater is is the wild and wacky one. They're 15-8 and eight overall, but 4-8, and eight, and they're sitting down in, um, what is that, sixth spot. River Falls has actually played some pretty decent basketball of late, and then Stout, unfortunately, is having a rough season at 0-12. This conference we knew was going to be was going to be tough this season. We ranked it as one of the toughest conferences. But, man, Bob, they're playing themselves into absolutely no pool seabeds. Look, you know, you could rank all the conferences or all the regions in Division Three, and, and any way you do your ranking, the central region is going to be the best, the best region by a mile. And there's a chance that the central region gets – one pool C bid, possibly. Yeah. Now, I, I think it's going to turn out different than that. But the is, we talked about the CCIW. You're right. When you look at the Wisconsin Intercollegiate, so Oshkosh is in. If they falter in the tournament, regardless, they're in. They're 22 and one and 12 and 0 in, in the league. But after that, you've got two pool C candidates. Period. You've got Stevens Point and you've got Lacrosse. Now, Stevens Point is in a little better shape yes. than give them credit for you know if, as I look at some of Matt Snyder's data he's got them third in the region behind Oshkosh and Augustana he's got them ahead of Wheaton Stevens Point has a strength of schedule of 598 which is as high as it gets folks I mean that's as high as it gets so the problem is their winning percentage is 682 yeah um there, there is absolutely a chance that there is no Wyack Pool C team. I can't see that happening, but there's a chance, and there's a chance there's no CCIW Pool C team. Well, and take that 682 and remember that if we're in a at large scenario, we're talking about another loss. Um, and so that you know they're they're adding to the data in the wrong spot. And and what's really going to be interesting this year, since that 0.03 to two game thing has been removed from the metrics. You know, that, that SOS might be like, hey, nice job with the SOS, but doesn't have the pull that Oshkosh had a few years ago, for example, to thrust them into the tournament and overcome that winning percentage. It'll be interesting yeah. to see how, and I, the awesome interview with the, the national committee chair um, last awesome interview, and it was very helpful. I think it's going to be interesting to see how they actually play this out because when they get in that room and they get late in pool C, what they're going to find is that they're going to have a whole bunch of teams from other parts of the country that have these great winning percentages. Yeah. And then they're going to be staring at each other saying things like, okay, like there's really no Wisconsin intercollegiate team out here on the board that's competitive or a CCIW or, or whatever conference, right? Whether we're talking yeah. university of Chicago or whoever, um, I just think when push comes to shove, they're going to have to look deeper into SOS, and I think we're going to see some lower winning percentage teams from the Central get in when push comes to shove. We'll see, yeah. I mean, the Mendoza line's always been that 700 until Oshkosh broke through, but really, even since Oshkosh, it's kind of held at that 700 that if you're below that, you're in, you're almost dead in the water. Not, I don't want to say completely, because obviously Oshkosh proved that wrong, arguably and controversially. But that, again, was using a metric that's not in place now. The results versus regionally ranked opponents is certainly going to be huge. Um, the the non-conference SOS is going to be, I think, a major factor um, when you're really down into the nitty-gritty, common head-to-head. All that data is going to really kind of have to boil up. And, and 
that could be a helpful. It could be not helpful for some teams. Is there anybody in this WIAC other than Oshkosh who's going to win this? I mean, Oshkosh looks so good, which I am impressed with under a new head coach. Um, we've seen teams not succeed with these scenarios, and they're succeeding with flying colors. But is this little, is is this theirs to win, or is there somebody else who can legitimately take this title from them? Most likely this is a year where something crazy is going to happen. You know, like I, I just watched the end of the Platteville Oshkosh game the other night. And yeah, it was example. overtime. It was overtime, right? At, at Platteville, Oshkosh almost lost to Platteville, which on paper, that would have been a, a really big upset. I think in a league like like the WIAC, you know, it, it wouldn't be crazy if someone just came out of the blue like Whitewater or Platteville and won that thing. Certainly you wouldn't be surprised if Stevens Point won it if lacrosse won it, uh, I guess at this point, I'm probably almost banking on something weird's going to happen. And like Oshkosh is going to end up as a pool C team. So that's just, you heard it here first, I guess. Well, and to Robert, he says in the central region, how would an upset in conference tournaments affect the favorite chance of getting a pool C bid? And how would that affect a pool C on the bubble in particular CCIW and WIAC? First off, the leaders in the CCIW and WIAC are getting in. Augustana and Oshkosh are lock stock to get in the tournament. I can't see a scenario where they they don't make it. There aren't enough games for them to lose, essentially, uh, for that to fall apart. What it will do is it's going to take a bid from somebody, and we say this all the time, it's going to take a bid from somebody we think is good but just doesn't have a strong enough resume and did not, should not have left it up in the air in the conference tournament. Um, yeah, you're right. In the, in the Central, the, the, the two big leagues, the strongest leagues, the CCIW's champ, Augustana, if they lose in the conference tournament, then they're in. They're yeah, fine. Right. And Oshkosh is in. The way I always look at it is there's 20 pool C bids this year. And as you start looking at like pool C projection number one to 20, if you're like 15 to 20 right now, you're in horrendous shape. Because oh, like I always feel like there's going to be five bad yeah. upsets. So like as an Illinois Wesleyan fan that's been grinding out Pool C for like a decade now, I'm always on that Saturday and Sunday watching these random games of teams I've never seen and gyms I've never seen. And I'm like rooting for Plattsburgh State not to lose or something. And and I tell you what, I mean about five of those a year happen where these Pool C bids just disappear because yeah. an Oshkosh, an Augustana, or whoever loses, and you can put that uh, in the bank that that will happen again this year. Something yeah. like that. I think Randolph-Macon probably in the Yodak is another one of those teams um, that's going to steal one if they don't win the conference. And we could go through that whole list. But, yeah, I agree with you. If you are getting – the closer you get to 15 and below, you're in a lot of trouble. You you don't want to be in that area, even though there's 20 selections, because we, we aren't going to have a clean slate in conference tournaments. It just – it's not going to happen. Now um, with all the parity, I think we're in this period of extreme parity, and – uh, with that comes the, the nature of upsets, the more likelihood that there's going to be some some crazy upsets like that, because these teams, there's not that much separation, right. you know, between Nebraska Wesleyan and, you know, Wartburg. If Wartburg wins that tournament, I don't think anyone's going to be like crazy shocked. It's just no. that's or the Morris. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, real quick, before we take a break and bring Ryan and talk 20 top 25 specifically, um, the Central, you've hinted at it. You know, we, we, they might only get one WIAC or one CCIW team. Essentially, those two conferences, as good as they are, have swallowed up most of the regional rankings so far. And again, week two is going to look very different because of results versus regionally ranked opponents. 
but they've essentially blocked the rest of this region. S Chicago sitting in seven. Granted, Chicago hasn't isn't necessarily a team I think should be higher, but there's no other conference. The Midwest Conference, the SLIAC, the NACC, they've got no chance in an at-large bid this season. And we can say that two weeks from the end of the season because the CCIW and the WIAC have just locked it out. The, the only non-CCIW or WIAC team that has a chance to get a pool C bid in the Central is Chicago. And that's a I long think, shot. Yeah, I believe WashU has played themselves out. Yeah. Chicago is, look, Chicago's sitting there with a 636 winning percentage, and Chicago's problem is, let's say that Illinois Wesleyan wins out and loses in the conference tournament final. I mean, no one thinks that Illinois Wesleyan is getting a full C, but Illinois Wesleyan will have better numbers and a head-to-head -head over Chicago. Yeah. So if Illinois Wesleyan yeah. isn't in, I don't see the path for Chicago that goes out. That Chicago better win the UAA, uh, uh, the Pool A, and they don't have a tournament. So maybe I'm, I'm kind of t saying, ultimately, I don't know that any team in the Central is going to get a pool C out except a WIAC or a CCIW. Yeah. And it's weird because every year we there's somebody sprinkled in the middle. And right now, just the way it's broken down, and again, week two will look a little different. It's There's there's no chance. And and I it just it's not mind-blowing. I don't want to say that. But it's certainly – it was one of the things that jumped out at me. I went, wow, there's just – nobody else right now and usually mix. there's like a like a saint norbert right so right. usually saint or norbert Benedictine or yes, right. there, there isn't this year saint no. norbert is uh has, has had a fine season but they're not in the conversation there's no benedictine msoe not i mean good season but not really no so not with that's the just, numbers it's all cciw and WIAC. chicago and washu have been in that mix but at the end of the day i don't think that they have a great shot at a, no better than like illinois wesleyan does yeah we're going to take a break uh, and get you back here with Ryan to talk um, uh, top 25. It might be one of the last times we really dive into the top 25 because it's really about regional rankings from here on out. Uh, so if you don't mind, we'll get a break in and, and come back with you. Sounds great. So here's Bob Quillman joining us on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline. When we come back, Ryan Scott hopefully joins us. I honestly haven't checked in with Ryan in a bit. Uh, joins us to go through the top 25. We'll have we'll quickly go through our dubious, our dark horse, and top 20 or our debatable teams. Uh, really, it's a one debatable team. The rest are all our choices. Give you a sense of what we might see in Week 10's top 25. You're listening to Hoops Hope, presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC Studios. Back with more after this. Being a part of the different activities and organizations that I've been a part of, I'm actually able to see myself where I'm like, hey, I actually can make a change. I'm one person that can make a difference. Division three has helped me to develop teamwork skills, critical thinking skills, time management skills. It's not just about basketball or it's not just about school. It's about developing yourself as a person altogether. Welcome to the University of Wisconsin-Eau Claire, home of Blue Gold Athletics. UW-Eau Claire has been ranked the top five regional public university for over 20 years. We graduate champions with the lowest debt and highest return on investment in the Midwest. Blue Gold Athletics is a Director's Cup Top 20 Division III program offering 22 sports with almost 700 student athletes. UW-Eau Claire is about excellence in the classroom, the field of competition, and the community. Are you the next Blue Gold? My name is Marcus Walker. I was All-State, won a state championship, a high school All-American, and played college and pro ball. 
I play because I love the game. I grind to be the best. I sweat because I put in work. I'm strong because I believe. When I want to bring it before game time, I come to the house that college basketball built, the CBE. No matter your skill, take it to another level. Elevate your game right here at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center. I coined my definition of success in 1934. My definition of success is peace of mind attained only through self-satisfaction and knowing you made the effort to do the best of which you're capable. It's like reputation and character. Reputation is what others perceive you to be. Character is what you are. It's on us. It's on all of us. And it's time to act now. It's on us to start the change. It's on us to be the change. It's on us. It's on Division Three. It's on all of us to stop sexual assault. And welcome back to Hoopsville as we go a little extended here. Probably not going to go much more than 15 more minutes. If you've got questions for us, tweet us at D3Hoopsville, hashtag Hoopsville. Join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Hoopsville. Of course, email me dave.mcue at d3sports.com. Got a question earlier in the show that might be fun to talk about. I've been hearing a lot of buzz about LaRoche. Ryan writes us. He said, stream the game and wow, they are tough. What do you think about the Red Hawks from Pittsburgh? Have a chance to go 18-0 in conference. Do they need to win their conference tournament? Or getting that large bid. When, interesting enough, they were right in the middle of the uh, Great Lakes region, sitting at the three spot. Let's see where they look. They fall this week. Granted, a lot of teams in that Great Lakes lost. I think with the metric being removed of .03 to two games, LaRoche is in a better spot than we've seen teams in their situation in the past. The real question is, can they get a little bit more top 25 love? Bob Quillman now rejoins me, and Ryan Scott joins me for the top 25 double take here on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline on Skype. And uh, uh, we'll get to the LaCroach question, I have a feeling, in a bit. But, guys, we, we head into Week 10, and, Ryan, I'll admit, I kind of missed last week's show where we already knew the top 25 and can react to it from there. Now we're kind of staying with the same top 25, and i got to find all new answers. Yeah, and half the teams seemingly lost two games this right. week. So. <laughs> yeah, four teams lost two games. We had a whole mess of losses in the top 25, as high as number five, St. Thomas. Um, I mean, I enjoy voting in the top 25, but when I get a package that is 23 pages thick in the middle of February, I realize I got some work ahead of me. I took the task this time that I got the thing from Pat that said, hey, you have to vote by tomorrow. And I said, I'm going to vote right now before I overthink this. <laughs> so I literally voted I know of 30 now. minutes of the ballot coming out because I kind of knew in general what I wanted to do for the most part. And I, I voted and I didn't want to overthink it because you could slice and dice that top 25 about a million different ways at this point. Yeah. I agreed with you. Um, and I now can think of twice when you have come on this show and said, I just got the vote out of the way. This time you used the excuse that you didn't want to overthink it. The other time you said you didn't want me to talk you into anything. I find you're, I'm not sure which one I believe in. You're very influential, Dave, and I don't trust myself when you start to play the Jedi mind tricks on me. So it's very true. Folks, when Bob and I talk Jedi mind tricks, we're, we're literally lying to each other. We just second guess everything and go back and then still vote the way we would have. Um, 
Ira says, why the heck did you print out all 23 pages? I already voted. Great for you, Ira. Ira, uh, it's nice to know Ira voted already. He usually is one of the last ones to get his ballot in. I think Pat sent on his 4.30 Sunday evening just to get his ballot in in time. I print it out because I write all kinds of notes. That's why I do it. I, I walk away from my computer um, unless I need it. I have notes in front of me. Use my computer for notes. Uh, otherwise, I'll get, lose my mind. Ryan, have you voted yet? Sometimes you're done and dusted by the time we do this segment, too. So I hit send about the time that uh, Bob came on the show this evening. So uh, I have voted. Um, this was, I think, in my years doing this, and I haven't done it as long as, as you guys have, but I think this was the most ridiculous ballot I have ever turned in. I, I feel like I could make a case for the team I voted 24 to be fifth. And I think anyone in between 5 and 25 could be in any place, and they would be okay. And I don't think that's ever happened to me before. <laughs> you know, the interesting thing is you've got the – there's four teams that, whether you're looking at the D3 Hoops subjective poll or some of these computer polls, like Massey oh, yeah. or, or Drews or whatever, there's four teams that everyone agrees on. The order's different. Yeah. Everyone agrees on Nebraska Wesleyan, <laughs> Whitman, Augustan, and Oshkosh. But after that, especially now that St. Thomas lost, they were the fifth that everyone agreed on. But yeah. now that they just lost, from 5 to 25, it is a nightmare. <laughs> so it, it is ridiculous. So, Ryan, you, 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 I haven't used this terminology at all this year. You started throwing darts, eh? Uh, I, I try, like I said, I try to go objectively and start over from scratch every week. And so I'm <laughs> ranking teams against each other that – would have been 10 spots apart last week and <laughs> now they're competing and yep. I, you know and a team like Williams and Marietta both of those teams that I had relatively high lost twice yeah and I was keeping them artificially high so now I feel like I've dropped them farther than they deserve but <laughs> you know it's it's just hard and then you've got injuries yep. you know I don't know what to do with MIT because as AJ Jerk Yurko didn't didn't play again two yeah. games I don't know if he's around or not, and that changes their team dramatically. So, <laughs> well, I had dropped MIT because of injuries, and I raised them back up when they got the full strength. Now I don't know what to do with them. I agree with you. Exactly. All right, so let's get into our three groups. Uh, we have a dubious, we have a dark horse, and we have a top uh, a debatable. The debatable is one team that Ryan's going to throw at us, and we just have a fun time debating them in general. Uh, we we hope we aren't going to um, have the same teams here, but with three of us, there's a better chance of it happening tonight. Uh, I'm going to leave it to Ryan to get things going. Uh, would you like to go Dark Horse or Dubious? I want to do Dark Horse so that you don't take mine. Oh, I have a bad feeling about this. Who's your Dark Horse? Uh, so this is um, a team that has not did not get any votes last week at all. Okay. And I am not voting for them this week, but I am, after watching the game yesterday, a pretty big believer in those Wittenberg Tigers. Oh, okay, good. Phew. Oh, it's not mine. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, they had a really rough stretch, you know, starting mm -hmm. the second semester, a bunch of losses, a bunch of overtime games that shouldn't have been. But the last two weeks, they have been playing lights out. And I watched yeah. them against Worcester and Worcester played well. It was not a bad game for mm -hmm. Worcester and Wittenberg beat them. And they were up by 19 at one point in the second half. Yeah. And they look like the team we all kind of thought they were going to be coming into this season. And uh, I think I think they could do some damage, especially they got Wabash this week. Um, it, that's my dark horse. I like that one. I like that one. I did not use that's not it doesn't take it away from me. Bob, who's your dark horse? My dark horse is Mount Union. 
this week. So as I as I look at the poll, um, and I look, I believe Mount Union doesn't have a vote. Is that correct? Um, you you are correct. Interesting. I talked about Mount Union as my dark horse on Monday. I like your I like your thinking, sir. Go for they, it. They don't have a vote now. Here's my case: is I like to dig into some of the computer stuff a little bit just to check my thinking. And Massey has Mount Union nineteen. Um, Drew has uh, Mount Union 25 and a, and a top 25 that he has that I really like. I think Mount Union's a team, they're, they're not getting any votes, that they're for sure a you know 20 to 25-ish team. Yeah, yeah. definitely dangerous. I, I like your thinking. I like your thinking. I'm, gonna, I'm doing a Ryan here. I'm doing a Ryan. Buckle up, Ryan. I'm going for the Maccabees. <laughs> I'm going with Yeshiva, baby. Um so 16 straight wins. Today, huh? Where they only beat Maritime. They, they beat Merchant Marine today, 75 72. They got Purchase, Mount St. Mary, Farmingdale State on the road. Uh, 17 and 5 in the season. Those five losses coming in the first six games of the year. They're 15 and 2 in conference play. Uh, it seems Elliot Steinmetz has got that team gelling. And yes, Elliot loves to keep me up to date on things. So shamelessly, they were on my mind. But I thought to myself, okay, this is the type of time where. A team like them or a Mount Union or whomever is starting to kind of gain some momentum is going to fill a void where us voters are sitting there going, jeez, come on. Where is this a top 25 team with everybody losing? I kind of like Yeshiva. I think they figured it out. And, and they've got Ryan, what's his last name? Terrell. Terrell, thank you, who's a fun player to watch. Uh, I'm, I'm going to put him as my dark horse. I had a couple of thoughts um, going into the week, but – they were they were one of those that I liked. If I really wanted to, I was thinking about going to one that had gotten a few votes, but uh, they were too high on my poll. But I like I do like Yeshiva. I think what we were expecting Ryan at the beginning of the season has finally come to fruition, and it's come to fruition in the last month. They do have a couple injuries, which give me a few pa little pause. And that three point game today was a little scary, but you know it's a win. A win is a win, and you know I think they're really good. Yep, yep. So and it's a dark horse. I mean. It doesn't mean we have to vote for them, but uh, they're going to be on my radar. They're going to be on my radar to put on the poll. All right, so that's our dark horse. We'll go dubious now. This is a team that maybe we feel is a little too high, even like I said on Monday, I'm even voting for too high. Uh, we'll keep the same order just to uh, – yeah, we'll keep the same order just to keep it fluid. Uh, Ryan, you're dark – you're dubious team, I apologize. All of them. Every, every <laughs> one of them. No. It's, um, you know what? I applaud you. I applaud you. Well I, said. <laughs> I'm picking Marietta. Oh, okay. Um, and I, there's a lot of teams you could pick this week. Um, Marietta lost two in a row, but they've also lost three out of their last four. Um, all of those have been road games and conference. You know, it's still a good team, but I feel like um, they just are, are not in a good place right now. And so I think perhaps um, I've dropped them quite a bit um, from last week. And uh, just feels like a team that, that maybe um, needs a little jolt to get it together for the playoffs, and they don't have a lot of time left. Yeah, good point. That's a good pick. Bob, yours? I'm going to get in trouble in my own conference. Um, but my dubious is the Cardinals of North Central, just because I think they're too high at 13. You know, so they're ranked 13th, and they lost twice this week at home. They lost to Illinois Wesleyan at home. They lost to Wheaton at home. I think if you're the 13th best team in the country, yeah. you need to win both of those games at home. You certainly need to win one of those games. When I look at numbers uh, for North Central, 
Um, again, uh, Bracketology, Drew has North Central at 26. Massey has North Central at 26. And D3 Hoops has North Central, as we speak, at 13. So I think the Cardinals, um, they, they probably belong somewhere at the bottom of the top 25, maybe 22 to 25, but but 13 is too high. Yeah, I said on Monday that, that even though I had them high because it, they just naturally rose there with the chaos and the vacuum that got created in the middle of my poll, that they felt too high, that that this week ahead did not look, you know, don't throw out the record books, throw out the, the, the records for Illinois Wesleyan and Wheaton, that, that this week could be really bad for North Central, and it did turn out that way. So I agree with you on this one. Uh, Bob, buckle your seatbelt. Mine's Whitworth. Whoa. Are you jumping off the wagon? You know, I'm, I'm torn because they – what I saw in front of me, despite tough games, and, and Hopkins is another one that, that's had me scratching my head, they're really good. I, I like how college plays. Um, Roach can sometimes get out of sync, get off um, the, the plan, but then they can get back in and he's dangerous. I wish they'd use the big man more inside. I like the guys that come off the bench so they don't have a deep bench. And I really thought they had the pieces and stuff in place. But, man... They are not playing well in the last couple of weeks. This week alone, barely getting past Linfield in a game that shouldn't have been that close if Whitworth's as good as I think they are. And then I was watching the George Fox game perplexed. Um, it, it, I could, and Roach did it again. He, granted, he hit a shot in overtime that helped him. But I, I just don't know what's not clicking now. I cannot get a finger on it. And these games, now Linfield and George Fox are good. They've improved. But they weren't in the game against Whitman. The Willamette game, I know Roach was sick, but that's not an excuse. He still played 32 minutes. Something's wrong at Whitworth. Something's wrong. Something's not clicking. And, and I've got him at 10 despite winning two games. Or do I have him at 10? I have 11. Despite winning two games, I'm dropping him. I, I don't know what's going on. They're just not looking as good as I saw them in Vegas, plain and simple. Maybe they peaked early. I, I don't know what it is. Yeah, I think they're a good team, and the question is, um, I, I think they're getting closer to where they should be at 15. Now I'm a lot more comfortable than when than when we they were what in the top five or six for yeah, a week. Top five at one point. Yeah, okay. I had them. I had them at three. I think at one point. I've always had them more like 18 to 25 ish, somewhere in there, which is consistently where some of the computer polls have them. Um, I think they're a good team, but I don't see any separation between Whitworth. And teams like North Central, Wheaton, Illinois Wesleyan, they're, they're just, to me, they're right in that pod of, like, the, the bottom of the pole. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I, I, I see that. I just don't – they're leak. what did I say, Ryan, on the chat boards? They're leaking – or on the our Slack conversation, they're leaking oil. Something, something like that. Something's I not mean, right. they're – you also have to look at their body of work at this point. Right. They have not beaten Whitman, which means their best win is Johns Hopkins, which it's which, not – isn't a, a strong right team, now, but that's not a top 25 team. Nope. And the one interesting wrinkle from this week we'll have to be watching is uh, Hernandez. Yeah. Right. It's his name. He's the sophomore guard. They needed a bucket twice this week. And he was the guy with all those seniors they have. He was the guy with the ball in his hands and he came through for him twice. Um, if they get a little life out of that bench, um, who knows what they might be able to put together, but I mean, to oh, me, they really can absolutely like go and win the Northwest conference. They can absolutely go and surprise Whitman and do it like they did last year. They can absolutely do that. I still have confidence that they're a good team, 
I just don't think they're as good as they were when I saw them in December and into January in that game we saw them against Whitman. I don't think they're that team right now. And as a result, I think they're a little dubiously high. So there you go. And Dave, you're a big man. I've been giving you grief. Really, just so the, the audience knows, there's a team every year for the last 18 years that I like latch on to and give Dave grief about. <laughs> there is. It's always a different team. This yeah. year, I just decided it would be Whitworth. <laughs> and now I, I like that he's kind of backing off on Whitworth a little bit. So I would say we're 50-50. Usually, I end up living up to yeah. my expectations, and you jump on, or I, or I finally <laughs> realize you're, you've been more on right. <laughs> All right, so debatable. This one we don't know about. Ryan's going to throw one out there. We don't have to debate necessarily anything in particular. Just debate who they are as a team. Ryan, who we who we got? So this is a team with a pretty poor non-conference SOS, a team that we thought was a little weak throughout the year. I know and who it on is. Tuesday, Amherst yeah. might be the NESCAC champion. Um, what do we make out of this? Uh, I, I had a feeling you were headed here. Um I don't know what to make of Amherst. Um, yeah, win over Middlebury and Williams this weekend. Win over, I mean, they've gone through the gauntlet. Their final four of the games, games were home against Wesleyan, at the road Williams, on the road Middlebury, on the road Hamilton. The Hamilton game rescheduled from a couple weeks ago. And they've so far gone win, win, win. Um, and, they've, and they've swept Williams now. All the games are close, but I don't know how much you put into that right now. I, they were not regionally ranked well, and I saw that coming, and I think the non-conference is not helping them. The results versus regionally ranked, especially with these results, is going to yeah. have them skyrocket in the regional rankings, I think. But the non-conference is still a danger point, I think, for them. I think it keeps them below where they need to be for any hosting opportunities, mainly the second weekend. They'll lose it to the, uh, the first weekend of the women anyway. I, Dave Hickson's a good darn good coach, and we've seen him get teams clicking at the right time, and I feel like that's where they are right now. I've got them on my ballot last week, 20th. I got a real debate. I, so, are they a top 15 team? So I actually have I, a Go ahead, Ryan. I watched most of the Williams game and most of the Middlebury game, and the biggest surprise to me was they were really good. <laughs> um, I... I watched them early in the season, and they weren't very good. Mm -mm. Um, Hickson has gotten these guys playing. Not to mention, they've got 6'10", 6'10", down low. Yeah. Um, and those guys have come around. Uh, the guards are playing really well. They've got the shooters where they need them. I mean, they beat Williams and Middlebury on the road, and both of those teams played well. Yeah. Um, I'm going to be interested to see how they do against Hamilton. I'm pretty high on Hamilton uh, it's at Hamilton. We'll we'll see what happens. But like this Amherst team is much better than I thought they were. And I had them somewhere around number ten on this ballot. I th I've watched them uh, lately twice, I guess, or one and a half games, I guess. And I'm really impressed with them. I think they're good. I think easily they're a team in the Northeast. The way the brackets will work, if they end up um, going to a Final Four, I wouldn't be surprised. I really wouldn't. I, I, I yeah. honestly, I think they have all the pieces to do it. They're playing well, so I'm, I'm a believer in what they're doing right now, and I see them as maybe a top ten team. So I didn't vote Amherst at all last week, and I have them eight on my ballot this week. <laughs> um, oh, that sort, of, 
that sort of shows where we're at. Well, what's I, interesting too is we talk about the computer polls. So D3 Practology has Amherst 8 and Massey has Amherst 8. And you have yeah. Amherst 8. But they've <laughs> got a piss poor non-conference SOS. I'm surprised those magical you know, systems, Massey primarily, have them that high. Yeah, what is their SOS in their Massey? Non-conference SOS is below 500. It's like they, they also won. They've got the highest um, scoring margin in the country, I think, right now. Still, um, really? there's a couple of those factors. Yeah, because all those non-conference games, they won by 45. Oh yeah, points. I mean, they beat Framingham <laughs> State. They beat Kane. They beat Westfield State. They beat Anna Maria. They beat Emerson, which doesn't look horrible. Um, they lost to Babson. That's the kind of games you look at going, huh? Uh, they beat LaSalle. They beat Springfield, which looks different now. Hunter, Keystone, Brandeis. They have, what, two and a half games in there worth talking about? The rest are just absolute ugh. And, yeah. yeah, I'm just blown away at what they've been doing down the stretch here. It's the at Middlebury and at Williams. It's those results and, and also the home game against okay. Williams. It's that is what has shot them up in the okay. computer polls. And, and for me, that's what's going to shoot them up in the subjective poll yeah. as well. I, so this is also a, a crazy thing. They could lose Tuesday against Hamilton, and they could lose in the first round of the NESCAC tournament and be very much on the bubble. Yeah. Or they could win on Tuesday and be a near lock. You know, like it's, it's crazy. I, I am not... I'm not there with you yet. I know the results versus regionally ranked opponents will help, but that non-conference SOS worries me, and their SOS number in general worries me. Grant, i got to go back and look at their SOS number now. I haven't honestly no, looked at it since they, the weekend. I think they're a lock. I mean, if I look really? at where they are right now. They're 20 and 3. They're 870 yeah. winning percentage. They're a 545 SOS. Okay, they're, the SOS has come up. It's 5 and 1. Like, they're... They're in. Amherst no, is in. The, the SOS was higher than I thought it was. I, I yep. thought it was still pretty down. Yeah, you're right. They may get in there without even getting to the non-conference SOS. So that's a good point. Yeah, they're in a better boat than they were. And you're right, Ryan. At the beginning of the season, you and I were talking. We're like, ew. You know, I don't know what Dave's got, but they don't have much of a team this year. That you know, and well, and then the Tim Tim McCarthy was their best player last year. He yep. got injured. He's not He's not really either he's not come back fully or he's not been able to. Right. But, I mean, I thought they were going to rely on him, and he's hardly playing this year. By the you know, way, they are also crazy. throwing a curveball here, I think, about the conversation, and maybe I'm walking into a rabbit's hole here and we can throw this out for another time because we're pretty much out of time here. But we always talk about the NESCAC pillages from the top of conferences to get good SOS numbers. I just listed a bunch of teams that are not at the top of their conferences. Well, it's an interesting scenario that they, you know, Dave says he never lives by it. It's kind of interesting. The other thing that's interesting, guys, is um, I'm looking at this list on D3 Bracketology of teams that are like bubble-proof, safe, complete locks. Four of them are from the NESCAC. <laughs> so yep. Middlebury, Williams, Amherst, and Hamilton – and now we just talked a few minutes ago about how the CCIW and the WIAC are maybe one-bid leagues. I think that just shows you the weirdness in this thing because uh, the NESCAC is a phenomenal league. It's not better. It's, it might be on par most years. It's not better than the WIAC and CCIW. No. So the, the numbers game is very weird in how this plays out. You're NESCAC right. will get four. 
the WIAC one, CCIW one. That's weird. And that's the thing is those four are pretty strong in terms of like, you know, Wesleyan wins this tournament. They could get five again. Wesleyan is a bubble team. It, absolutely. They're on the <laughs> bubble. There's five teams in his mix right now. Yeah, I'm going to be interested to see how the committee plays with all this. Because, again, we're using a lot of the data, too, not based on the .03 to 2, because I know Drew understands that's not in play anymore, and he's kind of he's kind of adjusted his thinking, and I know Matt has adjusted his thinking. What I'm trying to say is I think it's going to be very interesting to see if we line up with the committee as much this year because we're now looking at it so differently than you know, we don't have that metric we knew was being leaned hey, on. I think it's I called LaRoche. I called LaRoche. I've got it. I'm women's sink. I got it. I'm feeling confident. By the way, so I thought LaRoche might be somebody's uh, pick um, in in our top 25. That's why I kind of left LaRoche off the conversation. They're getting Um, votes. Yeah, they were getting a couple of votes. But, well, at this point in the year, we always talk about how a team who's getting a couple of votes will still get some love from us for a dubious. But, you know, I might vote for LaRoche this week, too. I am. You know, there's teams like that that emerge at this time of the year when everyone's been distracted by the big boys. All of a sudden, the big boys take losses, and all of a sudden, you look and go, geez, did you see who only has one loss? And all of a sudden, you're like, oh, no, I, did. I totally missed LaRoche. So. Well, and the, the other interesting thing is LaRoche is geographically located that they could end up playing somebody in the first round who deserves a much worse team than that. You know, like that, that could be a big upset and a really bad matchup for somebody just That's because true. of geography puts them, you know, they can go a lot of places from where they are. By the way, Jay Murray says, uh, WashU can get in. It finishes at 10-4 and four in the UAA by itself. WashU has to win out, and Emory and Rochester have to go 0-2 next weekend, and Chicago goes 1-1, 0-2. Then WashU has, a, has to beat Chicago in the final season finale to win the UAA. Jay, yes, we know that. Our conversation is about the fact that Chicago and WashU have played themselves out of a Pool C opportunity, that that's not going to play in. Yes, Wash, the, the UAA is wide open right now as to who's going to win it. Um, Chicago could win it. WashU could win it. I think uh, Emory and Rochester are still in the mix. So, Jay, just to be clear, we weren't talking about WashU being played out of getting into the tournament. We're talking about being played out of a Pool C opportunity uh, in the tournament. I'm going to quickly see if we got any other questions. Uh, Iris says he voted Amherst 6. That was hard. I had them a lot lower last week. Um, he also says that North Central fell out of his poll and Mount Union is 23rd. I think that's pretty reasonable. Uh, I don't know. I'm going to be voting once we close this showdown. Gentlemen, any final thoughts uh, before I let you guys sign off and we wrap this show up? Uh, Ryan? So uh, since we've been mentioning Ira, clearly he's listening. Yeah, for uh, the first time, did, he's listening live. Isn't that nice? I did not vote NJCU this week, <laughs> but I will recognize, especially with the second semester additions, there are two or three games up in the NJAC. That's a legit squad there. Um, I was real dubious on them, especially early in the season, and I, 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 I gave them a lot. And I'll, I'll just come around now and give them their due. That is going to be a dangerous team to watch uh, come March. Maybe. Maybe. We thought it was going to be dangerous last year, and they lost in the first round, but maybe. We'll see. Bob? Uh, I've got my eyes on, obviously, the CCIWY, but the UAA race, which is where two of – Quote, my teams from the Central, Chicago and Wash U, are in a fantastic battle for a pool A bed. Um, it's a great race right now with Emory involved and a few others. And so I'm really looking at that UAA race a lot because um, it's 
what the only league left maybe that doesn't have a conference yeah. tournament in the so entire the, NCAA in, yep. in the Which entire is, NCAA yeah all three divisions very unique and obviously all of those games left to be played will be very meaningful so it, it, we're in the home stretch now it's a lot of fun um Great final thoughts, but I had forgotten. I wanted to ask you guys about Stephen's point before I let you go. I'm not in depth, not trying to unbox what we already did on Thursday, but your reactions to the turn to the uh, investigation that finally came out. Well, just from my standpoint, you know, here, here's what I would say: is that um, I don't I don't know all the, the the details. I've read everything very very carefully. I think those um, it's been an eye-opening thing for a lot of teams. I think what, what they got caught doing is probably something that a lot of teams do. And to a lot that of degree? Maybe not to that degree, okay. but I, I think that I think that I agree lot, with you on that. On, yes. I think a lot of coaches around the country are saying, Oh, geez, that was that was lucky. We gotta change what we're doing here. Um, I can't believe it it went on this long. I can't believe it took this long to get to this point. Yeah. If they feel like they did the right thing though and it took them all this time, then then more power to them. I'm just glad that we can kind of start to move on from this. It's been hanging over that program for a long time. Yeah, three and a half years. Ryan? Um, my perspective, I think there's a whole lot of things that play in, more than I have the time to talk about. But <laughs> I think they got off pretty well. Yes. And my, from my perspective, I think that was largely because they had the change in AD and brought in someone who did all the things right. Right. And I, I think that is a good lesson to sh that the, the NCAA is, you know, as, as much as we didn't really like the way Thomas More's thing went down, this went really well in terms of them sending the message of if you do it right and you fix things and you show us that you're you're working, that that there's a there's a reward there. And yeah. you know, I think things could have been much, much worse. Agree served more than they had. Um, but they did the took the right steps and made the right changes and, and that sends a good message, I think. Um, they're not just trying to get people. They're trying to make things right. Well, and, and doing the summary disposition is part of that. Thomas Moore went the other direction via investigation hearing. Leave it in the hands of the COI. Good luck to you. That's not the direction that they went. They went in the summary disposition, which means they get to have a conversation. And, and not that the COI can't still throw the book at them, but they clearly said, no, nope, there was a mistake here. We're fixing it. And I think, I think the, the chancellor, too, also making sure we don't we're fixing this at least from what we can tell i agree with you ryan i think they got off uh, a little lighter than they could have absolutely um i'll be fascinated to see the the fallout yeah. um but yeah i just wanted your take on it i've resisted the urge of asking coaches uh, who've been on this show about it though some people have asked us why we haven't asked i have heard from enough coaches off air whose basic response to me is, we'll talk about it another time. I don't want to talk about it now. Yeah, not There's enough season. anger <laughs> that I don't want to put a coach in a spot who feels uncomfortable. So that's why we haven't asked coaches. There's enough anger of what was going on. Five weeks of practice before, five weeks of practice after. Five, not, granted, not traditional practices, but there's enough anger of what this report revealed that I've decided not to ask coaches about it on air. So if anybody's wondering, thanks guys for the time. I appreciate it. Went way past where I thought we would, but I really appreciate the insight. Bob, we'll have you back in two weeks as we, uh, the trio of us, maybe one other, we'll see, uh, try and figure out who's in and who's out of the NCAA tournament. And uh, I know you will enjoy it. I know Ryan will enjoy it, but enjoy the rest of the, uh, the two weeks here, gentlemen. Sounds Thank good. You. Thanks guys. Always a pleasure. Absolutely. Take care.
Bob Quillman and Ryan Scott joining us on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline. Uh, of course, the all interviews on the Hoopsville Hotline, courtesy of our partners at Blue Frame Technology and their industry-leading production truck software. Is your college ready to showcase its teams through reliable and innovative video streaming service that won't break your budget? Blue Frame's advanced digital broadcast tools will help take your broadcast to the next level. Learn more today by visiting www.blueframetech.com. That's blueframetech.com. And, of course, tell them we sent you their way. want to thank everybody for coming on the show. Appreciate it. From Marymount, Ashley Rogers, of course. Um, from Mass Dartmouth, Christina um, Baugh, from U Dallas, Jared Samples, and from North Carolina, Wesley and John Thompson. I want to thank their sports information directors as well for Marymount, Kyle, um, Mass Boston. I just literally um, forgot. Oh, come on. Where was my email from? There it is. Christine, uh, uh, I want to thank Seth and David, actually. Uh, from U Dallas, I want to thank uh, Troy for his help. All right, that's actually from North Carolina Wesleyan. Well, I'm all over the place today. Um, from U Dallas, where is that email? There it is. I want to thank um, Nathan for his help as well. We're going to sign off. We'll be back on the air Thursday, 7 o'clock Eastern time, when we primarily break down the East, Mid-Atlantic, Great Lakes, and West regions, plus the uh, WBCA Center Court segment. And, of course, a week from Sunday, the usual breakdown. But this is when we, things start to get a little bit more fluid and a little bit more uh, conversational, as it were. Um, yeah, who knows? We may not even talk top 25 next week. We may only talk rankings. You've been listening to Hoops Hope presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC studios. I want to thank our partners and advertisers, including D3Hoops.com, the National Association of Basketball Coaches, Women's Basketball Coaches Association, Wisconsin, Eau Claire, Randolph-Macon, and Blue Frame Technology. And thanks to all those. Oh, City of Salem, too. Don't forget, get your tickets for the Women's Championship Weekend. Uh, City of Salem has them on sale. College of Roanoke is where it'll take place at Crenshaw Gymnasium. If you want to talk Division Three basketball, you've got to watch Hoops. We'll be back on the air Thursday at 7 o'clock. That's when you can catch up or you can watch it on demand or listen to the podcast. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Good night.